Hey folks, now in their 19th year, Fright Rags has been bringing you the best in horror apparel and accessories since 2003, offering a wide range of products for your favorite creature features, slasher fix, and cult classics. Officially licensed collection include hits like John Carpenter's The Thing, The Evil Dead, Creepshow, Jaws, The Halloween Franchise, and so many more. This July, Fright Rags is celebrating the 40th anniversary of Creepshow with plenty of apparel as well as a brand new pint glass, a full set of retro-style trading cards complete with autographs from Tom Atkins, Adrian Barbeau, Tom Savini, and more. Also available are anniversary collections for RoboCop, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, as well as Dawn of the Dead and Elvira, all officially licensed and available now at FrightRags.com. That's Fright-Rags.com. KingCast listeners, by the way, also get 10% off when they use code KINGCAST10 at checkout. It is my turn now to tell you about our overlords over at Fangoria. So this classic magazine has been at it for over 40 years and is better than ever. The highly collectible publication comes right to your door four times a year, and each issue of Fangoria is filled to the brim with articles exploring every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking, past, present, and future, with all the most exciting journalists, filmmakers, and horror know-it-alls to guide the way, including your intrepid KingCast hosts, from time to time. This high quality writing will only ever appear within the physical pages of the magazine. So if you want to join in on the fun, you need to subscribe. And to do that, all you have to do is head on over to Fangoria.com and sign up. And since KingCast listeners are in the family, you can enter in the promo code KingCast at checkout to save a whole whopping, massive, incredible 25% off your entire order. Now, with all of that said, let's get on with the show. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Bad love! Bad love! Bad love! Bad love! Bad love! Bad love! Bad Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. Very excited about this week's show, gang. We've got a hell of a guest on board. We're tackling Stephen King's magnum opus. And yes, there will very likely uh, be spoilers in this because this is going to be an all-inclusive conversation. And who knows, maybe there'll be a few chuckles and japes along the way. You've seen or heard our guest in a number of different projects, including the Coen Brothers' Hail Caesar, Better Call Saul, Adam Ruins Everything, Tuca and Birdie on social media, delivering what may be the best Trump impersonation in the business, and last, but certainly not least, on Saturday Night Live as one of that long-running show's best new hires in a very long time. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Mr. James Austin Johnson. James, how are you doing today? Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to another wonderful episode of Fangoria's wonderful KingCast program here on the beautiful podcast network known as KingCast Podcast Networks. I'm James Austin Johnson. With me today are Scott Wampler and Eric Vespi. How are you guys doing today? Oh, great. we're doing great. This We're is uh, great. Yeah. this is our first time doing the show. Thank right. you. So, so I, for, you know, first of all, I just want to say that you two are such luminaries in right. horror right. podcasting. And, Correct. And and Stephen and now Stephen King. <laughs> what a crazy! I mean, when where do you even start with Stephen King, Eric? He's a kooky where, where character. Where do you start with Stephen King? 
Uh, well, you got to go back to the beginning. I was born in February of 1981. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not 100% written. sure Stephen King isn't my father. I'll put it that way. No, okay. he, he has written nearly a dozen books at last night. <laughs> yeah, I think it's about a dozen. I'm going to drop that character because I think that's going to be hard to maintain for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> that's, that's Thank fine. you. That's, that was kind of my, I guess that was like my... Um, Eric Siegel, but also like uh, who, who else was that? That was sort of Howard Stern, also a little bit, um, a little bit, yeah. A little, so little um, I guess uh, I guess I'll work on my characters a little bit more. You, maybe. you did fine. turn the tables right up, right up front. Yeah, to keep us was, on our toes. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. You can't um, just get it complacent over here. You know, yeah. <laughs> people don't put on enough of a podcast voice when they do podcasts, and I. I I like, you know, I'm a voices guy mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think it's important to do voices. Um, you know, I, and, um, my love of voices obviously came from when Stephen King has to write an older black character in one of his novels <laughs> right. and then gets to sort of the glee in his voice when he has been chosen to read the audiobook. Um, it's, it's just such a delicious opportunity for him. Um, yes. Um, I love I love Stephen King so much. I love <laughs> Stephen King. I love ironically, unironically, I think he's a literal genius. Uh, I'm I'm so glad that I finally like get to do like a fan podcast about something that I'm like I feel very knowledgeable of. about Stephen King. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. like I I do not have to bullshit at all um because I mean, I look at the list of the books. I just pulled up a list of the books before this podcast, and I was mm-hmm. like, man, I can't believe that I've read so many of these and I still haven't read enough of enough of it. Like, yeah. I've read so many of his books, and I'm like, I haven't even read half of them. He's, like, read, he's like, coming up on 70 books, so that's not like completely, you know, that's, that is understandable. Yeah. You know, I've, yeah. So uh, we, we run a show on Stephen King and have for two years. We've had the man himself on the show, and there's still books that Scott and I haven't right. <laughs> read of King's. Um, and well, uh, I never even heard of the guy before we started. The show. <laughs> yeah, he thought, I, I told him we were doing a Dean Koontz uh, podcast. And he, <laughs> yeah. he signed up and was like, What the hell is this now? <laughs> What's the cycle of the werewolf? I read Watchers for nothing. What is this? <laughs> yeah. Um, Obviously, we love Stephen King here, and uh, I was very, very impressed with your knowledge as we were figuring out what your title would be. And when we kind of arrived at the Dark Tower, and you were just rattling off Dark Tower shit like off the top of your head, and I knew like instantly, like, oh, this will be no problem. We don't even have to prep for this motherfucker. Let, like, me, this let is- me tell you that the Gunslinger is the first adult book that I chose for myself to read. I had read some stuff that was, you know, um, more crunchy in school than the typical YA uh, bullshit that I might pick up in the school library. But a friend of mine, uh, Daniel Page, had started reading It. He had a big, nasty, busted hardcover without the dust jacket of It that he was toting around when we were... He was in seventh grade and I was in sixth grade and he was toting it around while we were on like a field trip or something and um and in a uh, little wagon because it's a big book <laughs> it was in a wagon it's a big book and i just was like why are you reading that isn't that like an r-rated book for an, for adults um and he was like i'm reading it because it's awesome and i'm like isn't it scary why are you reading a scary book and he was like i'm reading it because it rules 
And so that was like the first person in my zone reading a, mm. a Stephen King book. And then from, from reading the, from reading, I think it and a couple other books, he, he got into the dark tower and then he wouldn't shut up about the dark tower for like two years. And then I got the gunslinger, um, the, the yellow, white and black paperback that they, from, I remember the, how the paperbacks looked in um, the 2000s, in like the mid 2000s. Mm. They had this specific sort of monochrome style. Right. And um, I bought the, the Gunslinger was at Target in that paperback style. And I bought it in Galveston, Texas, while my family was on a vacation. And I had only read like Artemis Fowl and The Hobbit and Harry Potter. And like I'd read children's fantasy. I had not read an adult mm. fantasy Western, uh, hypersexual, hyper dark, uh, and like crude and mean <laughs> book, you know, about a savage loner. I hadn't read like an adult novel before. And right. so this was my first one. And um, uh, I can I can talk some more about the experience of reading the Gunslinger for the first time if if you want to hear some more details. Sure. Well, is uh, so. Does this yeah. count as your Stephen King origin story then? If that's th the when first I, one when, you read. When I look back at it, this is this is yes, this is the first Stephen King that I ever read. I had a friend who was really into Stephen King, and the Dark Tower was the one that sounded the most interesting to me. Uh, before I got the dark tower, he had, he had been carrying around a copy of the eyes of the dragon. And I was like, eyes of the dragon sounds cool, but the gunslinger, I was just very drawn to. I, right. I it looked cool. It had a kick-ass name. Um, he showed me the first line of it and I was like, okay, that's, that is a sentence right there. <laughs> that is a cool sentence that I just got to read. Okay. So I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, and my family is heavily involved in the church of the Nazarene. And I grew up not necessarily sheltered, but definitely terrified of the secular media world. And uh, I, scary things were a big, like, I was just afraid of the whole adult world because I was afraid of sinning and going to hell. So when I got... So this is why you were asking your friend, isn't that an R-rated book for adults? Exactly. I was a good son and I was a good kid. <laughs> and I, I wasn't the kind of kid to like like right. read something that i mean they they would want to watch like the shining or or something like that and i would like close my eyes at the like uh you know nudity and stuff like i i was just always like very guarded and very uh like i said not sheltered i policed myself i personally was parenting myself with the media <laughs> that right I consumed. So like a super cool kid. I was so cool. <laughs> I was so cool. And, and like, I was so afraid of getting in trouble with reading that I hid Harry Potter. I didn't know if my parents were going to be upset that I was reading right. Harry Potter because at the time the Baptists were like, Harry Potter is the devil. And, yeah. It's and witchcraft. Like, right. Yeah. And it's so funny that like, it's so funny that JK Rowling is like, you know, I wrote a literal <laughs> Jesus story and got everyone addicted to it. And now I'm doing all of your, now I'm batting cleanup for you guys, terrorizing the trans community. <laughs> yeah, so, right. So it was funny that I was afraid that they wouldn't like the JK Rowling, but then like, seriously, like the next book I'm reading, this is maybe seven, I think I'm a high schooler when I'm reading this. So I was so serious about my 
my Christian morality at this time that I took a pen anytime I saw something super sexual or a curse word in the gunslinger, I would mark it out because. <laughs> well, there's that whole kidding. section where he performs an abortion with a with gun barrel, yeah. a gun yeah, barrel. That, that must have really abortion. worn out your marker. <laughs> he performed an abortion and, you know, on, like, on a, on a, on a uh, preacher lady too. No on, less. on the, on the sexy, terrifying, overweight preacher lady. And, <laughs> And I remember, like, he's, like, walking into, is it still called Tull in the... Yes. In the in the revised? Yes. It is called Tull in the revised. Yep. Okay. Because um, I've read both editions multiple times. So sometimes you get confused what's in the... What's in the... the what he changes and... Yeah. yeah, yeah. What's in the 80s one? What's in the um, 2000s one? So... So when he first comes into Tall, there's like, I, I think like a girl, like a farm girl, like winks at him and pinches her nipple. And I remember crossing <laughs> out pinches her nipple, like vividly, because I was like, well, that is really cool image to think of, but I better mark it out. My thought was a parent, one of my parents is going to find this and they're going to be relieved that I uh, <laughs> took it upon yourself, banished the, the negative material from it. <laughs> He's doing a service. Uh, exactly. So that is the sort of like mental um, morass that I was like putting myself through for the but, love of the king. Like but, I, <laughs> I was so into it that I was like, I'm, you know what? My salvation be damned. I'm going to read this book and I'm going to find the most Christian way of enjoying this book. <laughs> but you, you know, you say you were self-policing, but. Like, how encouraging were your parents for you to explore other areas of pop culture? You know, like they, watching TV, for instance. How oh, much of yeah. that was allowed? I mean, you know what? It's like the Nazarenes are really weird because, and a, a lot of these, a lot of these like niche Christian denominations, the rules are so arbitrary because they're like half of the rules are from 1901 when the churches were established during like the holiness movement or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then like, the other half of the rules are decided by like James Dobson of focus on the family in the eighties because his books are trendy and all the parents of that era buy all the focus on the family books. Like Christianity is driven completely by fads and like trends, especially in parenting. And like right now they're freaking out about like CRT, even though they have no clue what it means. They're freaking out about like public schooling altogether. And they're really into charter schools. Like all this stuff morphs and changes throughout time, just based on the like weird, fads of their own insular sort of uh they're self-policing they're all self-policing i mean that's who i learned it from and so now that i'm not really a participant in that world anymore um it it all looks a little kooky but i will come i want to commend that my parents they were not uh shelterers they did not hide the world from me they wanted their sons to have discernment and judgment and i maybe had an overabundance of judgment <laughs> on the media i consumed right they didn't they didn't like ground us for going to a pg-13 movie they were just like you know make sure that you're consuming stuff that is that honors your family honors your church and so i was i really didn't want to break that rule for myself but i just loved the gunslinger from the minute i started it i just burned through it in like three days on this vacation and um, by the end of it, I wasn't really certain what I'd read. It is the, it is maybe the weirdest one, um, of the entire 
series. Possibly. Um, but I've, I've returned to it so many times. And the last time I, I listened to it the last time I listened to the, um, I think the Frank Miller one, not the George Guidel. I, I listened to the Frank Miller one, uh, which is the first, which is the first printing, the first, uh, text recently. And, uh, I just, I just loved it all over again. And it also struck me like, how did I get anything out of this as a freshman in high school? Like <laughs> right. reading it as an adult, I'm like, I, I loved it so much more as an adult somehow, even though hmm. I was totally hooked from the first time I read it. Have, um, have you ever heard Stephen King's readings of the first three books? I, I love when Stephen King does his own audiobooks. It's so funny. Most of the time, I, <laughs> I, I wonder if I listen to Stephen King read it or if I just listen to Frank Miller or George Guidel. Um, but uh, I, he, Stephen King would come up at the end of the, like the Frank Miller one mm. and read the afterword because right, right. this, this motherfucker loves an afterword. He loves <laughs> yeah, a preface. He loves an essay about um, a Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie that nobody remembers. Like he's, he is like, I love his nonfiction. I will say, I bet, I bet even before the Gunslinger, I was reading his um, Entertainment Weekly column. I right. swear yeah. to God, yeah. I was reading that before I read his books ever. I think I knew him first and foremost as a culture critic, and then well, later I, as a novelist. I got a question. Like if you. If you read The Gunslinger as a freshman and the next King novel you wrote, you were in college. Like, did you not go? Like, why didn't you go immediately to Drawing of the Three? Because it must no, have been out by then. No, no, no. I no, I did. I I read I after The Gunslinger, I read everything by him all through high school. Like, that, oh, OK, gotcha. I no, I I I I, it, I didn't wait until college that once I read The Gunslinger, I sort of abandoned YA uh, fantasy for a while and just read every Stephen King book I could find or was interested in. And, um, and, uh, uh, so, so yeah, I, I read drawing of the three and, um, I, I have a personal favorite edition of drawing of the three. Um, Go the, um, I don't know if you remember the, how do you describe the measurements of these books? It's You're talking it's, about the trade paperback or a, the, uh, the trade the- paperback that's big. The plume, plume one. The, the first one that they did. The illustrations yeah. in that one are, for my money, the those are the definitive art of mm. the Dark Tower to me. The the Phil re- Hale, yeah, I think. I yeah. think so. Let me. I, I'm going to pull it up on my phone while I'm talking about it. But there is there is an image of Roland with uh, his fingers freshly bitten off by the lobstrosities. Um, uh, fishing in his pocket for like, uh, um, fishing in his pocket for, um, bullets, bullets. And, uh, yeah, Phil Hale, this is what I'm talking about. This, this one of naked Eddie, the one of the lobstrosities, him reaching in his pocket. So that to me is like the definitive Roland image and what my mental picture of him was sort of carved from. And uh, I like the more expressionistic, uh, art style. The one, the one for Wizard and Glasses, is, is fairly cool. The the weird collages. Right. Um, I think I had trouble with the the illustrated edition of the Gunslinger. By the way, I was I was reading these tiny paperbacks, and then when I would be in the mall at Barnes and Noble, I would flip through the big hardbacks to look at the illustrations and yeah. the, the editions that were too expensive for me to own. 
and I did not like the illustrations in the first in the in the revised Gunslinger. I thought they like didn't match what was said in the book, and that was annoying to me that they weren't literal. You know, uh, it was stuff like Interesting. that. And and the drawing of the three had 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 different art, and I really didn't like the the updated art for drawing of the three. I loved the one that my friend lent me. He was like, read this one. It has the best um, pictures in it. And- yeah. I think Phil Hale, <laughs> what he, he like kind of redid his, his stuff for the, uh, the later printings and oh, made okay. it a little bit more like, uh, I don't know, David Finchery, you know, where it's yeah. a little bit more like uh deeper blacks and black and white. Right. And, yeah. Right, yeah. But in that first version, like, especially that, that one page where it's, it's like naked Eddie, and he's in like Balthazar's place or whatever. And mm-hmm. Henry's severed head is like in the foreground, but not enough that you can tell it's a severed head. Yeah. Right. Dark white lighting on that. Like there's no no shadows or anything in that. And it's uh, so funny. It's it is really weird. It's I can't, I just can't believe I like was able to read this as a child. <laughs> it, it's it's I wouldn't have let myself like now, like as an adult, I'm like, would I let my son and who's a freshman read this? Of course I would, but it is just funny that <laughs> that I just loved the that I loved the story so much that I that I just kept going with how horrific all this stuff is for like a little Christian boy to be reading well, this. It's so yeah, funny. I mean, there is something too, though, like being at that age and having that be your first foray. It's not. It's it's jumping into the deep end, right? So you're. This isn't, you know, this is what adult storytelling is, you know, there's sex and violence and, and, and all this stuff, but it's all wrapped in like, you know, this science fiction fantasy comic, you know, world that, that, you know, especially with the dark tower, which, you know, this is something that always comes up when we talk about this is that, you know, the thing that's magical about the dark tower series, you know, isn't that it's perfect. It's, you know, that, that series got warts all over the place, but it is so wholly uniquely its own thing as a mishmash of 18 different genres, you know, all at once. uh, Yet it's still its own cohesive thing somehow, you know, it's, it's kind of a miracle. Like, uh, and and I think that's why people who love the dark tower stick with it and like, are just, you know, lifelong diehards once, once the hook is set, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, I don't, I really don't know what it is about it, that it, it is as complete a vision as George Lucas's star Wars. It's like, it is every element of it works perfectly in concert with every other element of it. And it's totally messy and there's plenty to not like about it. That gives it so much like humanity and X factor. It's like, it's the messiness of these things that makes them at all interesting. I I watched the um, the Matthew McConaughey Idris Elba um, movie this mm-hmm. morning. Oh, uh, in anticipation's podcast because I'd never seen it. And mm. oh, I'm no, it. I'm watching <laughs> it and I'm going like, "Wow, this is what this is what this series is like when it's not the product of one person. This is what this series boils down to when." 40 important people have their say about how to communicate these elements into a story. Exactly. I was like, what if, what if I could take my favorite thing in the world with some of my favorite characters in fiction and just remove all that, like remove all of the characterizations. Like (laughs) what if everything about Jake was, did not exist. And we just had a different boy that was named Jake and he wasn't interesting. And we followed him the entire time. Like it felt like that's what they did for each um, 
piece of the story. And it was just like, man, who adapts something like this? Like take something that's done and then goes, well, I should write a new story where nothing happens um, using like four of these characters. The Kiva Goldsman, that's who. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> man, I, um, it, was, it was such a disappointment. Um, it was such a disappointment. To, to watch that movie. I, I was like, who is going to, who is going to get interested in the books from this? Because it's so vacant. Every, mm-hmm. every wide shot is missing critters and like slang. Like when they finally went to like a village, nobody was talking all dumb and weird. Like they talk in the books. And <laughs> right, it's like, there was no personality. Right? There was no personality. And I'm like, right. man, in, First of all, you like immediately see Roland using his guns. And I'm yeah. like, that's not what's cool about Roland. What's cool about Roland is that he never uses his gun. If I had made if I had adapted seven books into one movie, I would have at least kept the gunfight to the last meaningful possible moment for him to fire the gun. Like right. the way that guns are talked about in the gunslinger, you it's like a holy, it's like a sacrament. It's like, it's like this thing that only comes up. It's magical. He just like, it's, it always means something if he fires off a bullet. Right. And, and oh yeah, just the fact that it was so, um, a battle is happening. What battle doesn't matter. It is the battle. Like, okay, man, where is all of the, like, where is all of the like slow savage build to the action? That's what I want from Stephen King. It, yeah, you know what? Here's what it was. It was a movie mm. that was outlined. If you, if you have read Stephen King's on writing, you know <laughs> that he dusts off the fossil. He 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 does not use an outline. He explores his subconscious and he lets the magical Stephen King ghost flow through his body and out onto the page. And that movie was just outlined. And I was like, this is not how Dark Tower goes. Dark Tower is a is a portrait of the mind of a singular American artist. And the fact that it just didn't feel Stephen Kingy at all was, I thought the gravest uh, sin. Mm. I think I knew we were in trouble probably during that same scene that you're talking about the battle that opens it where it's, it's, it's Roland in the woods with the man in black. Oh, Oh, well, well him. Yeah. Well, his dad dies and then it's like kind of a little, showdown thing with him and McConaughey and it's yeah and he and McConaughey tries to do something to him and it doesn't work and he goes ah oh, I see you are still impervious to my magics and I was like oh yeah. fuck we are in for it now <laughs> yeah like, and they're like like in an otherwise empty just like patch of forest that they found to shoot this scene in and you know what you pisses know. me off you know what pisses me off about what Matthew McConaughey did in that movie mm. Walter O'Dim titters he yes. titters mm-hmm. He is described as tittering <laughs> every time he is, has a scene. He's chuckling and giggling and tittering. And Matthew McConaughey is playing him as this like cool magician when in the book he's like, he's kind of more like a, um, like a Charles Manson uh, kind of guy. He's like a... I always think of him as Loki. Loki, he's he's a trickster. Yeah, so he, he spits on a corpse and brings it to life, you know, and, and does a little yeah. dance. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. That the, there yeah. was no hopping. It was just like <laughs> yeah, yeah. the gunslinger. The gunslinger as a story is about as succinct <laughs> and uh, visual 
and adaptable as the rest of the series is going to be. Like you right. could have just made the gunslinger. Like yeah. Like who cares that he's a knight? I want to see him be a cowboy. I don't yeah. want to know he's a knight until uh, uh like three waste, movies into this the wastelands thing. is when yeah. he really becomes a medieval uh uh archetype like the gunslinger what's interesting about him is that he is a clint eastwood type rolling up to a ghost town and then some cool demon shit happens so like right you could have just sold me that it was a straight up western and then allowed the you know your bad cgi H.R. Uh, Giger monsters to flow in from there. You could have done that, <laughs> um, but instead they started it with like it really felt like you know what people are going to love and what's really going to hook them into this series is like a very sanitized song of Susanna. Like <laughs> it's like oh, the most Lord, could you challenging imagine? material in the entire series is what they chose to adapt for this movie, and oh god, that's just like. In, when you're reading the wastelands and his and getting drawn to that house and Jake is drawn to that house in Brooklyn, like it it's this it's this like dark, scary thing that you're being pulled into against your will, the way that it the way that it pulls you in is so crazy. And then when the demon is revealed, it's like you know what Dark Tower demons are like already because Roland had sex with one in the gunslinger right that you know they dealt with so you like already know how they work. So for them to just like, show their whole ass immediately like and then uh then jake just goes to house and the house uh, sort of gets mad at him but uh, nothing happens and then he conquers it by n- nothing happening and then he goes through the portal like the fu- yeah the fucking thing just like falls apart the, mm-hmm. the, the house on uh because uh, jake jake's killed. magic yeah yeah, yeah well yeah. whatever but that's like poorly communicated the whole thing is over yeah. and done with in about what 80 seconds of screen yeah, time it's, and dude, it, it like nothing happens it, like imagine spielberg shooting that sequence it would have been 10 minutes long and fucking incredible yeah <laughs> i mean obviously they weren't getting spielberg for this but like it, you know a filmmaker who knew how to play up this material or a studio that was less precious yeah. about like you know having to appeal to all four quadrants at once and trying to yeah like they bought they got the rights to this thing and got excited about it and then they got cold feet almost immediately and that resulted in a notes process that just that's what that movie ended up being well it just it i think i think i don't know a whole lot about the production hell that it was held up in for so long but i think they i think they were developing a tv series way before um way before like westworld and game of thrones and stuff so so I think they didn't know the roadmap for prestige, like um, production heavy uh, um, genre um, action. Like I, I, I don't think they had the whole, I don't think they understood like, oh, this is going to be a huge um, way of consuming media. It's like, it's not going to be the Lord of the Rings anymore. It's going to be, you know, a 10 episode series and we do five seasons of it. I, I just don't think that model had really been up and running when they were f- when I think they first got uh, the well, adaptation. Whoever whoever first got the rights to it, I but think if, you're talking about the era where J.J. Abrams, Damon Lindelof, those guys were Ron and Ron Howard. Well, that was a different era because one, once Ron Howard got involved, then it became like a yeah, it's going to be movies and an accompanying TV show, which makes no sense. I mean, they they just they they kept playing to a person who's going to hate it 
and sidelining the fans that would have the fans that would have uh, been the the word the word of mouth generators for the series. Like you can leave it Stephen Kingy and super weird. People will go see. So people love Twin Peaks. People love like even Lost has personality yeah. and weirdness and yeah. funk to it that made word of mouth so easy to game of thrones is weird and that's what people like about it you know it's like that's why it's quirky and that like the this the brother and sister are fucking and then right you know like they like all of that nasty and there's zombies and it's also a palace intrigue thing you know it's like people can roll with with that kind of thing and you know in the perfect world somebody adapting dark tower just needs to look at you know yeah, yeah. Look at Dune. Look at Game of Thrones. Look at these things where it's like you get a. It has to be big. It has to be a broad sweeping. Yeah, you know, thing. It can't be something you do on the cheap, which is why that opening bit, you know, with uh, in the Dark Tower movie, kind of, you know, really sucks. Is that that? My understanding is that was a like light last minute reshoot that they did, and so that was something where they're like, "Fuck, we have to throw this together." And it it, it could have very well have just been in like the park next to the director's house. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, there's right. No, oh, there's God. no personality and they just get some, some dudes and throw them, you know, <laughs> throw them in some vague, you know, cowboy slash cavalry looking gear and throw them in the, you know, in the background on the, on the ground, oh, and, you know, ha- have yeah. a close up conversation, nothing but medium close ups between Dennis Haysbert and Idris Elba. Um, yeah, I, it, it just feels small and you need something that's sweeping. You need something that's big and grand. Look at the first season of Westworld. It's like, that's yeah. kind of what, you know, the, the tone that the dark tower should be. Everybody has an interesting face, you know, there's a quiet menace to Ed Harris in that, you know, that yeah. you need, you needed that in, in man of black. I kind of get what, what McConaughey was doing. Um, because I think he was playing the man of black as Randall flag, which he very well could be, and probably is the same character, but Randall flag didn't play, you know, uh, each one of his personas the same way. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he, he was essentially playing Randall flag from the stand as, uh, yeah, as the man I, of black. Yeah. I would have, even if I had to just recompose this movie with the ingredients that, and all the ingredients stay the same, I would have been mm-hmm. like, um, uh, Mr. Elba, British accent. Just use your natural speaking voice. You're a right. knight. Go ahead and just be British. It's fine. Um, like we'll accept that you're a cowboy. It's actually probably better if you're British because the, in the books, everyone is constantly reacting to the way you mispronounce and can't read things. Mm-hmm. And like, look at Keflex and say Cheflet. And you know, <laughs> right. you, you call a you call a sandwich a Tudor fish popkin. Yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> let him be British. That would have made more sense. And then like. With some some vestigial remnant of the high speech or whatever that could be. Yeah, with Matthew McConaughey, like don't play him evil at all. Be a Texan and giggle at things people are saying, and then at the last minute, tell someone to stop breathing, and they stop breathing. You know what I mean? Like, right. He could have just played himself, and it would have been more menacing and compelling because you know he's a great actor. I think that's what was frustrating. Is like I'm watching all of these good people like just try to get a paycheck and get out of here before they're asked to do another one of these movies. And, um, it it was a bummer, but the books, the books, the books get to just stay the books. At least the movie didn't like ruin the books for everybody. (laughs) You couldn't do that. But what did you think of Idris as the gunslinger beyond the, beyond the British accent note? I 
I thought he was a good choice. Um, I mean, it's definitely got to be someone um, humorless, and I think he is an actor who can play humorless. Um, while still being charismatic, though. While still being appealing, because there is that, like, there is that, like, intense um, romanticism to Roland. So I do think right. he has to be a hunk. So it was, <laughs> yes. <laughs> even though in the book they say he's not a hunk, I'm like, I don't know. He he bangs every chick he comes across. So I'm pretty yeah. sure he's a hunk. <laughs> Roland's um, cleaning up out there. Yeah, yeah. So, so I do think Roland needs to be a hunk and somebody who is, like, a straight, dramatic character. That said... Um, Jake is a silly goose and I felt like they made him into they made him in the Dark Tower movie into like a kid from like Sinister or right. something he's like a, that. He's a mopey downer. Yeah. He's a yeah. mopey he's a mopey horror child and <laughs> Jake is like Jake is like constantly bugging Roland about fucking Chewbacca and stuff and Bowler right. and like you know so so <laughs> the Jake could have been the moment for the levity is like having this. And also it just is so anticlimactic how they end up together. And it's so cool in the gunslinger that like Jake is a dead boy who is actively trying to like reconcile with the fact that he's, that he died. Like he remembers his death <laughs> right? and he thinks he's in hell and there's none of that like cool kid struggle. Uh, happening with the boy he's just you know another another um the, the chosen one must find the sword it's like hey listen i know we like star wars and i know that joseph campbell is like a good sort of guidepost for a screenwriter who's in screenwriting school but not every single fantasy movie has to be about a chosen one finding a sword and stopping the darkness from winning like you could just let this kid be an interesting boy whose chest was being crushed. And now he's in the middle of the desert with Roland and maybe he'll die again. Um, uh, I didn't, I didn't finish the movie. I turned it off because I was like, I've seen enough. I watched the first hour and I was just like, I know they don't make another one. So what the hell am I watching? <laughs> you probably might've missed some of the best stuff or you cut it off right at the best stuff, which is when Roland goes into Jake's world. Uh, and you get a little bit of that fish out of water, yeah, uh, uh, stuff from uh, the, the drawing of the three. Well, um, you know what? I've seen that Nick Cage Sorcerer's Apprentice, and that's sort of the same deal. Um, <laughs> kind of, yeah, you've gotten that. You know, there's a really good moment where where he's in the hospital because you know he's uh, he's poisoned or whatever. They took that the lobstrosity bite. You know, it's not he's not bitten by lobstrosity. I think he's stabbed by one of those thinny creatures, yeah, right? Right, yeah, yeah. speared um, or some shit. And, yeah, and so he needs, but he they keep the he needs penicillin, so he goes to a hospital in Jake's world, and and uh, like the way he's interacting with the doctors and stuff, and he he tries to pay them with like a gold coin, and you know, yeah. and all this stuff. It's like that, like little moment is like a little flash of the humor of the series, and, well, and how it's God, rooted it was... in characters. And he watches like a, a commercial on TV, you know, fascinated by this thing, and there's a talking raccoon, obviously, kind of hinting towards a an oi later on that will never be uh but he was just like the animals still talk in this world and and all this stuff where it like in that one little moment it fleshes out the the mid-world stuff more you know than it actually you know the eight eight to ten minute scenes that seem to take place in it well uh, you know akiva, that, like you said are just devoid of any personality yeah akiva thank you for putting that in the movie you know you put it in like an hour and 20 minutes <laughs> after everyone has already left the theater 
Right. Like all of that stuff happens so much later after you've right. waded through so much unremarkable right. storytelling that it's like, well, then what's the point of putting this in? Like, yeah, I don't. Oh, it doesn't redeem it. I'm just saying that, that that's probably. I know. It's like you, you should have told me at the beginning of this thing that that's who this guy is. You should have right. told me at the beginning. Where was our like, if you really wanted to to make us realize that he's a knight and it's going to be weird when he goes to New York, give us the court Falcon scene. Give us like, right. Give us some cool fantasy castle town shit. And, and they just, I don't know. They just plop us into, he's a cowboy, but it's, you know, uh, uh, uh middle earth. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I, I, it was so annoying and, and I'm glad I didn't watch it until now because I would have, I would have hated it more. I, I at least I had a purpose to why I was watching it was to talk to you about it today. When that movie came out, um, Sony flew a number of like film journalists uh, yeah. up to New York, and then, and I was one of them. Hell and yeah! And they and they they took us. They flew us out to New York, and then they put us on a private jet, oh and God. flew us to Bangor, and then they took us on like a day long uh, Stephen King tour of the oh. area, which, which was fucking awesome. Uh, I, we've talked about this on the show before. It's called SK tours. It's up in Bangor, Maine. Like if you ever get a chance to do it by all means, do that I'll shit do it. because it'll now blow your mind. The, now that I live in New York city, I, mean, I could actually go do something like that. So that <laughs> I'm going to have to do that. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a little more off the air, uh, when we're done. Cause I might have some information that you would, you would enjoy, but, um, at the end of this, they they took us out to the the Chinese restaurant where that that um, from it, yeah, from it that King had based the you know Jade of the Orient <laughs> or whatever it was called on, and yeah. then they took us over to a movie theater that was completely empty, and we sat down in the first two rows of seats, and then Stephen King walks into the room and sat there and just you know answered whatever questions we could shotgun at him over thirty minutes, then. We went over to another theater in the same building and watched the Dark Tower with him and an audience. Then they put us on the jet and flew us back to New York. And on the jet back to New York, after all of that, after whining and dining like <laughs> these, like the most hardcore Dark Tower fans that they could find within the, like the film journalism, you know, space. Minus yeah. Vespi. Vespi should have been there. He didn't get an invite. He still don't I know, know why. Fuck Sony. Sony can <clears throat> rot in hell. Suck a dick, Sony. And uh, they went like person to person asking, like, what did we think of the movie? And uh, somewhat shamefully, uh, some of my co compatriots, my colleagues uh, were like, oh, I loved it and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like watching this. These conversations happen as they're like working their way up the row, just like losing my fucking mind. Like, what are you people talking about? And when they finally got to me, I was like. You got problems here, man. I don't know what to tell you. Like this movie and like they like sat down across from me and I just like, you know, prattled on for a good 15 minutes about like all the ways in this in which this had gone wrong. They did not seem surprised by any of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, they knew. But like if we rewound time back to when I was like, say, I don't know, 19 years old, 20 years old. And told me I was going to go through that whole trip. And at the end of it, I still wasn't going to like the Dark Tower movie. I would have told you you were fucking insane. Right. Like, how could how could all of that happen? And then we see this thing and it still wouldn't be like. It still wouldn't like blow your skirt up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So uh, 
it's <laughs> like, how do you fuck up that bad? Uh, well, they found they found a way to do it, but by not, um, by not spending any money. I mean, I think yeah, I, I yeah. think that's ultimately what it was. I think they wanted you to come there and be impressed with the trip, and then be like, "Well, do you think that enough of you will write enough positive material about this that the hardcore Stephen King fans will show up to watch this movie that we did not make for them?" And <laughs> and nope. uh, help us recoup our losses on this clearly dog shit excursion. And we want to keep Stephen King happy because every fifth movie we make of his is one of the best movies of all time. So, like, you know, we <laughs> want to keep and the him. highest grossing movie in the genre. Yeah. Exactly. So he's important, even though it's like, even though he's the most important horror like person, period, in American fiction. Um, they still are not going to give him the full, like, spread to make his his magnum opus. They're still not going to do what, for him what they did for like Peter Jackson when he made <laughs> the Lord of the Rings. Which I mean, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings is the best it has ever gone when you have given the right filmmaker the right thing that seems unadaptable and told them to adapt it for cinema. I think that Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings is like, that's the best that's ever gone. He managed to usher that huge Bible through the Hollywood channels, release it through the Hollywood system. And it has one person's stamp. It has, it has one visionary's like vision and it's carried all the way through Everything that needs to be cut is cut. Everything that needs to be there and more is in there. And they even have the option of the, you have the option of watching the four and a half hour versions versus the three hour theatrical cuts. Like, right. like and each cut's great. Like you're great in their own different ways. Yeah, so the it's like, yeah. are great. And the extended ones are awesome. So yeah, it's like, a, it's like Stephen King is like, arguably has generated much more like, uh, much more like income and interest than J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, like, like Stephen King is, is, uh, I don't know. It, it's this guy who everyone thinks sucks. And at the same time is like sort of the Bob Dylan of, of, of American letters. Like he's, it's like him and Bob Dylan. Those are our two poets that like, that like actually work. Um, and uh, I don't. He's know. the close. King is the closest thing we have in our lifetime to like uh, the closest corollary to like a Mark Twain. Mark Twain, yeah, exactly. You know, just a quintessentially American author um, with you know possessed of a great imagination and a talent for you know you know with Twain, I would say it was a lot of it was uh, dialogue and with, with King, I think a lot of it is world building and establishing, you know, the ordinary versus the extraordinary. And, you know, um, I think King's estimation amongst critics has, has certainly improved over the years because they, you know, they were taking shots at this motherfucker like real bad early on. And now like all those kids who grew up, you know, reading King are the ones writing reviews for the New York times or, or whoever the fuck. And, yeah, they throw you know, him a bone he, every once in a while. They do, they do like acknowledge that, like, you know, I, I remember when Lisey's story came out, that that felt like a turning point where, where the like lit crit world 
fessed up to how good Stephen King is as a writer. Like when Lisey's story was out, they were like, finally, this guy writes us some literature. And I'm like, he's been doing it. <laughs> it's just, it's 2006. Like now you're yeah. ready to accept that Stephen King is one of our best writers. And right. Yeah. And you're like, 90 and you're going to die miserable. So enjoy <laughs> that. He's not, he's not Jody fucking P. Colt. He is, he is like, he's much closer to, I think to like Mark Twain or, um, uh, or Tolkien, even the stuff, even it, which is full of cancel cancelable material. Yes. Is, <laughs> it still holds up to me. I, I, I read it recently and I was like, you know what? There's too much good stuff here to focus too much on, <laughs> all the you know the, the unfortunate aspects and the uh, and the like the weird orgy and everything oh, gosh i want to look at a list right now and just say every stephen king book i've read can i do that <laughs> if you want okay i have read salem's lot i've read bag of bones black house i have read the body uh i've read cell uh uh dark tower all the dark towers I have read Dreamcatcher. Loved Dreamcatcher. Eyes of the Eyes of the Dragon. Really? Excuse um, me. I'm sorry. You love Dreamcatcher. We'll get back to that in a second. Um, All right. I <laughs> Hearts in Atlantis. It uh, multiple times. Insomnia. Uh, uh, Lisey's story. Uh, Thinner. The Mist. Uh, the, the Outsider. Obviously, Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. The Shining. The Stand, The Talisman, and I think that's it. Okay. Well, here is my number one critique of your list. Okay. Uh, it's a missing revival, which missing. is okay. I haven't read any of that stuff. Okay, revival is a self-contained thing, so oh, it's okay. just yeah, it's not like part of the Mister Mercedes trilogy okay. or or any of that. But revival is the the title that our show recommends more than any other because it seemed to kind of get skipped over when it was released. And I, I promise you it is the, it has the scariest ending he's ever written. Uh, do not read a word about it before okay. you read it because okay. you do not want to get spoiled. You'll never see the fucking ending coming. Okay. And um, it is just fucking harrowing. Like that thing kept me up at night for a month afterward Everyone we have recommended it to has come back and been like, holy fucking shit. And I'm just like, yeah, see, right? So okay. you definitely want to add that one to the list next. Right. You'll be very happy. I will I will do revival. I will. It, it definitely it, feels like Forgotten King. You know, this is like the yeah. punk rock. You know, like this is the B-side that nobody talks about. You know, everybody talks about the Beatles' you know, biggest hits. But this is the the cool song on Revolver that nobody yeah. nobody ever talks about. But once you hear it, it'll be your favorite song. This yeah. show okay, has revival. single-handedly made Revival cool. That's what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> yes. Gotcha. We've moved right. at least six copies. Oh, I love King. that. Well, <laughs> a quick note about Dreamcatcher. Yes, yes, please. So, so I read this in high school. I want to say that this is maybe, I maybe read this in between like Wolves of the Kala and Song of Susanna or something like that, or in between Wizard and Glass and Wolves. Um, I got, I, I bought it from the bargain section at Barnes and Noble for like two ninety nine. I had a giant hardback of it and I brought it with me to church camp and I would like just skip entire like, <laughs> uh, like chapels and like rec activities to like sit in my little cabin room and read Dreamcatcher. Um, 
I like that it kind of sucks. Like I like that it, <laughs> I like that it's clear that he, and I didn't know anything about him, his car accident. So I didn't know that. Wait, he, what? How? Because I, I, it's not like I spent all night Googling Stephen King. I mean, I was. No, on, but that was like national news. But I was like a sophomore in high school. Like I, I just was like unplugged from the world. I, all of my like Stephen King knowledge was from like just checking out the books and reading them at face value. So after I read the dream, after I read Dreamcatcher, my, my buddy Daniel, who was much more connected to stuff like news stories was like, yeah, he was hit by a, va- a van and you can actually like tell when the book gets really weirder and stranger, like that he was writing the rest of it on pain pills, like in a hospital bed. Um, and, well, I got news for your buddy, Daniel. Like he wrote that book entirely longhand while on painkillers. Yeah. Like the whole fucking book. It's not like halfway through, you know, he right, got hit right, by right. a van. Well, um, maybe I got that wrong, but um, I mean, <laughs> sure, def- sure. It, it, it is a, it is Stephen King on pain pills again. It's, <laughs> I think that's what I like about it is it is, Sober King's return to drug fiction. And, and I think that's, I just think that's fun. I, I I don't know. It was, I remember it being fun. I I remember it being like, oh, he's sort of like, I I started to see the seams of how he composes a little bit. And I was like, I get it. He's, he's sort of picking the things he likes to do in novels. There's like flashbacks to when we're kids there's there's you know like a group of a group of boys with a childhood secret you know and then what they're like as adults um i thought i thought as uh i as a high schooler i loved all the stuff of like the government showing up the whole storyline with like the feds you know trying to control the the alien thing i loved the shit weasels and i really liked um I really liked the like library in uh, is it Jonesy's mind or is it a different kid? Mm-hmm. The okay, Memory I, Palace. I thing. loved the Memory Palace. I thought that was, um, I thought that was great. And honestly, when you think about him sitting alone in the hospital bed on drugs, I mean that's got to be where the Memory Palace comes from because he had to just be living <laughs> right. in it. Um, so so Dreamcatcher, I'm I have a soft spot for Dreamcatcher. I don't think it's the mess that a lot of people think it is. I. I, or rather I do, I just, I think in spite of it being a mess, well, I, I just think we need to like change how we look at messes in general. <laughs> like, no, the, I, hear I kind you. of agree with you on, on that. Cause, uh, you know, you, we were talking a little bit earlier about how Stephen King, like who, who is he like? He's, he's not this crazy artistic, writing the serious great American novel kind of guy. And I always associate that with Steven Spielberg, right? He's like the Steven Spielberg of, of authors, right? Spielberg can make a Schindler's list, but then he can make a Jurassic park that same year. You know, it's like, yeah. And there's something that's more powerful when you can make something kind of pop culturally relevant and popular and smuggle in, uh, that, that stuff. So when you talk about messes in my mind instantly went to like something like 1941 Spielberg's 1941, which is a fascinating, interesting train wreck of a movie but it's there's so much singular but it's it's singular it's very much what we were talking about about dark tower it's It's, singular 
it is its own thing. It is, you know, warts and all it's got, it's weird. It's got personality. It's its own thing, you know? So it's like, I can never look at, you know, cause 1941 is always brought up as like, Oh, that's Spielberg's flop. And it was the first time that, you know, he failed and, and it's a bad movie. I'm like, no, that's not about it. You want to see a bad Spielberg movie, go watch kingdom of the crystal skull. And the reason why that, you know, doesn't work is because he, it has no real personality. He's trying to give, Indiana Jones fans, the movie he thinks that they want versus making an Indiana Jones movie that they'll be a fan of, you know, it's yeah. like, it, 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 you it's know. weird. It's it, it, I, yeah, I'll just take singular over anything. And I'll, I'll even argue that, that crystal skull has singularity to it. It's just compared to his other works. It's a lesser work. I, mm. I saw crystal skull by myself at a matinee without reading any reviews of it and walked out going, I had a good time at that, mm. you know, like, Sometimes, sometimes staying away from the critical world helps you like helps you just enjoy things for what they are. Me, um, I really liked Frank Miller's The Spirit just because. Oh my god! Just right. because, Good Lord. just because it was <laughs> because it's its own thing. Well, it's its own thing. That's a, a a lame copy of what what he uh, gleaned from Rodriguez on of on course, uh, City, though. Of course, yeah. and he's and he's like, you know, he's super, he's got plenty of cool political opinions you can make. <laughs> yes. But, <laughs> I was but, on the set of The Spirit. I, I visited that Oh, set. really? That was a weird, <laughs> weird time. I, I remember most of my time there was being super excited because the uh, Gabriel Mocked was the star of that. Yeah. And his dad is Stephen Mocked, who was the dad in Monster Squad. He was in uh, Graveyard Shift, Stephen King Connection. And his dad was there visiting his kid. So I spent my entire day on that set, just sitting next to Stephen Mock, telling him how fucking cool he was. It's a shame. It's sometimes, sometimes these movies just get like reamed because they, they don't fit like, um, they don't fit an expectation, you know, especially when someone sees a trailer or reads a blurb, they, they already set up what the movie's going to be and, uh, it disappoints them and, I, I just hate that for some movies that are just their own thing. The, the, the marketing of a studio, you, you get the budget of the studio and then you get the studio's notes and then you get like the marketing and it all just conspires against what it is at a time. Yeah. I, one of my favorite movies of the last few years was Alita battle angel. Speaking of Robert mm. Rodriguez, I'm yeah. a big Robert Rodriguez guy. I would love to see Stephen King and Robert Rodriguez mixing it up. My God, um, what what would that be like? I'm trying to think of like what title? Maximum would Overdrive. Be? I mean, Maximum Overdrive. Yeah, yes. something something either super low budget or a Robert Rodriguez Dark Tower. You know, like <laughs> like it, it would have to be something super high budget, like Alita. You know, like a James Cameron project, or yeah. it would have to be yeah, like Maximum Overdrive. Like just just take one of the like um, the smaller King Tales. You know, like you know, a misery or something like this, something, something that's in like one location and is just a couple characters. And right. But I, 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 I put him up for running Alita man. If... I thought Alita battle angel kicked ass. And that was a movie that didn't bother to like truncate itself to fit. It's like so long. It like, doesn't bother to like, to like make itself that Hollywoody. It just is its own thing. And it's cuckoo. And the action is ridiculous and over the top. I, I love when they just let a filmmaker make a movie like that. It's definitely Rodriguez kind of uh, at at half speed, which is a good thing because that's the problem with a lot of Robert stuff recently is he's just going so fast that, you know, he's cutting corners a lot. You can definitely tell 
the Jim Cameron uh, influences producer there oh, of like just sure. like no make this a make this a real movie not a Robert movie. You know? Sure, I mean, well, The Mandalorian is is great. I mean, like mm. like there's a reason that that one has worked so well, while the other like some of the other Star Wars Disney stuff right. hasn't worked as well. And it's like, well, when you truly get like somebody who's like a unique filmmaker and um, give them some money, you get something bitching like the last Jedi or the right. first season of the Mandalorian. And then everything that people really don't like is, is coming more from that. Uh, um, well, make sure we serve everyone. The person who yeah. hates star Wars and the person who loves star Wars. Like, yeah. like, um, yeah. For, for uh, all the the haters on the Last Jedi, nobody likes the Rise of Skywalker, which is the, that exactly what you were talking about there, where it's that trying to please everybody and dude, you know, at the same time. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, Star Wars is different because Star Wars has maybe the worst fans of anything. Oh, it, um, it breaks my heart, but yeah, but it's true. the Last Jedi is a movie that is made, I believe, lovingly made for Star Wars fans specifically, and the fact oh, that no question there are so many like. Um, uh, like politically activated incel guys who are really into Star Wars who were like, uh-huh. oh, I saw an Asian person in it. I better freak out about this movie for the rest of my life. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Let's like, hound her off of Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> let me personally torture someone who had zero creative like oversight <laughs> over right. my thing that I'm, I'm mad that Luke doesn't flip that way. So I'm going to torture an improviser in Los Angeles for the rest of my life. <laughs> right. I thought was just so awful and, but you know what? This Dark Tower movie, uh, you know, an- another group that um, that constantly plays to the very people that are going to hate it the most. It, it sort of remind me of the. It, it's like if the Pelosi wing of the Democratic Party uh, made a movie. It, that that's sort of what it felt like. It's like like if you have you have the the last remaining of the like Clinton Democrats. It's like, well, we better not play to the left. We need to play to Republicans who will never give us an inch for the rest of our lives. <laughs> let's let's do as much as we can for them. That is what hit me when I was watching the Dark Tower movie. I was like, this is this is like what they do every election cycle, where they, they like ignore the base, play to the people who are going to hate it, and then the people who are going to hate it, unsurprisingly, don't like it at all, and the base hates it even more. Worth like, noting that. You know, the Dark Tower movie went through a little bit of that Last Jedi shit because they cast a black guy as, as Roland. Yeah, you got, you got the worst of the internet, like, from the get-go, and then they, they like, never stood by the movie. Like, they, they, like, it seemed like no one was sticking up for the movie, and that was, even when they made their extreme choices about how to adapt it, also, it seemed like there was no, not even an executive with passion uh, behind it. it. It, oh, Oh man, I could keep going on about it, but it's just like, why would you adapt the last two books as the first of a series? Like, why? Those are the those are the those are the challenge level for the people who already like the series. <laughs> the people who already <laughs> like the series tend to get to six and seven and go like, why do I like this again? And push through. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> this is actually a great segue because. You know, we've talked about the the first three books of the series, which I which I and I, I believe Eric also um, we look at the Dark Tower series as kind of split into three parts, right? Okay. You've got the first three novels, then you've got Wizard and Glass, which is very, very much its own thing. My favorite one. My and number then one the favorite f- one. Yes. Uh, certainly the best written, I think. Uh, not my not my favorite. That would be drawing the three, I think. But um 
but I do think Wisdom Glass is the best. The most drawing of the three, my favorite one. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) and then you have those final three. So, and then you have the Harry Potter from Goblet of Fire on uh, arc, which is what he does with Wolves of the Column. I think there's even an Entertainment Weekly review of Order of the Phoenix by Stephen King. Which, by the way, my favorite Harry Potter book, Order of the Phoenix. See, mm-hmm. all I'm doing on this podcast today is talking about non-Stephen King things and how much <laughs> I like them and how much everyone else hates them. Um, but uh, Stephen King's review of, of Order of the Phoenix, I think, is the time that he mentions in print that that's how he figured out how he was going to finish The Dark Tower. He was, that's fucking crazy to me. That he what that he read Order of the Phoenix and he was like yeah I, that that, that was the keystone my Dark Tower cycle. <laughs> I mean, well, I guess it makes sense why there's there's a uh, Sneeches and in, in, in Wolves of the Call. Duh. I mean, yeah, yeah. and lightsabers and Doctor Doom and you oh, know it's the, the Wolves of the Call is the most like pop culture uh, infested of any of the books. I think. I Which think works it, for it and also works to its detriment, depending on how you're looking at it. But I like it. I I think that I think that you could you could look at it from you sort of described a story um, sections like story categories of of the gunslinger where you have the it starts as a sort of a philosophical fantasy vignettes. And then it goes to Wizard and Glass, which is his big uh, sort of Mexican telenovela, Western <laughs> Louis L'Amour, Lonesome Romance. Dove kind yeah. of thing. And yeah. then, and then it goes into the Harry Potter Voldemort arc. So, I think you could almost do tone categories with the books too, because tonally they're all very different from each other. Like the Gunslinger, the first one, and I want to say like. Um, Susanna and the Dark Tower, those all have their own. They, those have the, to me, the philosophical tone to them. Like they're very plotting, um, like like slow. They're they're slow, and there's a lot of just one-on-one conversations with the devil about the nature of of existence, and um, and they're pretty light on action. Um, but when they when they do have action, it's interesting. But for the most part, it seems like these are just ways for Stephen King to explore his like philosophy of storytelling and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then you have like the um, the kooky action books, which I think are Drawing of the Three, Wastelands, and Wolves. I think Wolves and Wastelands have a lot in common with each other. Yeah, it's truly where he gets into world building. Uh, in those books, like with the wastelands, that's truly when he got to like a settlement in, in mid world. And he was like, what is a set like, what is a settlement where people have actually gathered? What are the, how do those work in, in this world? And, and I think, I think that's one thing I hated about the dark tower movie was like, okay, for the first time that Jake meets someone in mid world, why are we meeting peaceful people in a tiny village where everyone has superpowers I feel like if Jake is meeting somebody in Midworld for the first time, it needs to be like a weird rapist thief who's like stealing right. him to take him to a, a cave to like try to pluck his eyeball out to add it to like a weird statue. Like right. that to me is what's fun about the wastelands is like it truly feels dangerous. Uh, 
there's and it, yeah, that movie sort of felt like it was lacking in danger. Like the rat men weren't scary. They looked fun and Jim Hensony and not like, right. I, wasn't, I wasn't afraid of the low men. Wizard glass gets to stay its own thing. You know, its own unique thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that kind of comes part and parcel with him, especially in the early days of, of really picking a different genre each time he, he attacked each book. You know, we've talked about this a little bit, but it's like sci-fi is very much the predominant flavor of, of a uh, drawing of the three wastelands is like a fantasy adventure. Uh, you know, then you have wizard and glass is the sweeping romance. Gunslinger is a, you know, a Western, With you know, horror. and then, uh, then a metaphysical of the horror western yeah. Yeah. yeah but you know in terms of predominant flavor it's like you know you you the image in your mind is like a dude in a dusty long jacket you know walking across the desert with a gun at his hip you know um and you know then wolves is is the samurai tale it's him getting to play with kurosawa you know seven samurai shit and then you know and then then it gets a little nondescript for me because then you get into song of susanna which i have no idea what where you'd place that because that that one was always my least favorite that's the that's that's the one that feels like an interlude between you know five and six where the meat of the story happens there um, um and it's also where a lot of the he starts going off the rails a little bit with his villains yeah um in six and uh by introducing mordred and yeah you know <laughs> It, it 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 be it becomes a little sloppy. I think to to me it really once the cotet fractures, like then yeah. then things get a little sloppy. And uh, again, like you said, sloppy but interesting. So it's well, I I remember in high school at least, uh, and this conversation is making me want to just sort of read them all again. Just I, <laughs> right. I do it every like five years now. But um, in high school, I remember Song of Susanna being delicious like i remember Hmm. it being like not i maybe not satisfying but definitely like it kept me i i i I burned through it because i liked the setting of thunderclap and i liked the weird castle and uh, and yeah the development of susanna's demon baby and everything that kind of makes no sense but yeah, I don't know. I I'm I guess he was just trying to tie up some like loose ends totally. with the storylines to set up to set up the the last act and Yeah, I have no clue what he wants to do with the Song of Susanna. I'm like thinking back about what happens in it and I'm like I know that Susanna and the uh the woman who is also Susanna, Mia, uh, yeah. Mia, uh they're talking a lot about <laughs> you right more a lot I think. like a lot a lot and uh and then walter like how many split personalities you gonna have exactly and then oh, walter man. is i think also talking a lot in song of susanna if i'm not mistaken am i making that up i'm gonna be honest that's the one i've read the least uh <laughs> yeah. i think i think i read that one through twice to completion yeah you know, and, whereas like with drawing or fucking wastelands or the guns, right. like, I've read those ones like six or seven times. And then, you if, know. and then I think that's also the one where Roland goes to Stephen King's house and hangs out. With yes. Him. Yeah. And that's also the one where it is revealed that, uh, Roland and his team, uh, caused nine 11 by putting the, yeah. the, the, the grapefruit in the, in a locker in the world trade center. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. Yeah. They caused nine 11. Yep. And there's something about going to Hammersold Plaza 
and like going into a hotel room and then like uh, god it, it is an absolute mess towards the end of the it's, it's, it's totally messy but um let me ask you this like you, you you know you moved out to new york for snl yeah have, have you done like have you gone to see some of the dark tower locations out there <laughs> i would love to do that sometime i so when i when we got to snl my wife was like six months pregnant and then like we had the baby like over like the the holiday break like it it has like it has been ever since i got that audition i like even after the audition i had to move within like 10 days uh, jesus so, like, christ that i am just now sitting at home for the first time since last september so like <laughs> we have had no time outside of raising a boy who is now five months old and me doing the show like i i've had no time to do anything else barely even read um i i've tried to i do my best to read when i can and there's some downtime in the in the in my dressing room like in between scenes and stuff but it's like it's so hard i would love to do a full dark tower tour i think i'm i think i'll try that when we're there for a month before the show starts back again i i think i will try and go see some of the (laughs) Go see some of the stuff and try and look for a rose climbing out of the yeah. pavement or something like that. Check out the lot. Check out uh, the plaza. You the know, plaza, and uh, maybe go to a um, go to a bookstore and look for uh, the Charlie the Choo Choo book written by uh, Beryl Evans. Beryl Evans, and then yeah. she has a different name in a different world. It's like something E Inez something. All right. Claudia E. Inez. <laughs> Claudia yeah. E. Inez. Which is interesting because E, like just Y, is like and in Spanish. I know. Um, so it's like I Claudia know. and Inez in uh, this economy. In this economy. <laughs> it, it Isn't is, Inez the name of Richard Bachman's wife as well? Yeah, it is. It's supposed to be Richard Bachman's wife somehow. Um, interesting. Yeah. It's so weird. This series just wove itself through my whole high school. Right. Uh, period. Like. It's the first thing that I read when I got to my new Baptist high school. I had left public school and my family sent me to a Baptist high school in the like countryside of Nashville, Tennessee. And I just like hated it there. So like reading Stephen King was sort of my like uh, transgressive behavior, uh, rebellious behavior was reading mm-hmm. this like, you know, uh, dirty fiction. And the last thing that I read like on my, on my like uh, senior field trip, the last week of school was when I finished the seventh Dark Tower book, uh, oh, wow. The Dark Tower. And so when I think back about The Dark Tower, I think about my like repressive high school that I was at. And uh, it's probably very fitting, you know, considering stuff like The Talisman and uh, The Institute. Even even The Seventh Dark Tower book is another let's get a bunch of special kids together and torture them in an institution environment mm. <laughs> um, book, which is another one of those settings that he likes to dabble in. That's right, folks. It's time for the mid-roll ad read brought to us by the dulcet tones of Mr. Robert Zombie and his beautiful Dragula. Folks, let's talk microdosing, which is something that... Uh, 
Well, that I would definitely encourage most people to consider at this junction in time. While you might associate the term microdosing with psychedelics, this week's sponsor, the good folks over at Lumi Labs, whose microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that'll have you feeling just the right amount of good and relaxed, are doing something different. Their microdose gummies are great for creativity, alleviating minor pains, and, you know, taking the edge off the good old-fashioned constant anxiety we are all feeling these days at all times. Vespi and I received some of these in the mail, and I can tell you firsthand that these gummies taste great. I'm a, a big fan of the watermelon one in particular, as I believe I've mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And since they've arrived, I've gotten into the habit of taking one before I go to bed just to make falling asleep easier. And oh boy, could I use some help on that front these days. And I never <laughs> wake up with the lethargic feeling that you sometimes get when you get way too uh, you know, elevated before bedtime, which is frequently a problem for someone such as myself. But Lumi's microdose gummies really seem to be hitting the sweet spot for me as of late, especially at bedtime. Lumi's microdose gummies are available nationwide. Yes, nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code KINGCAST to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and you'll be using the code KINGCAST. Fantastic. Now let's get back into this conversation, shall we? Let's do it. Let's talk about that, the final book in the series a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so we're engaging full full spoilers here. For anyone that is still with us that has not read the Dark Tower series, just go read the fucking Dark Tower series. Enough with this. Enough and with the spoilers. In this day and age, great time to read Insomnia. It's like yes. a book about uh, people getting black-pilled uh, into like weird <laughs> political obsessions and yes. uh, the demons that are behind making people go nuts um, over media and like news items and stuff. It's I, I found myself thinking about insomnia so much this year, um, not only because I'm a little stressed out, but like it's just a great book about being stressed out and being prone to stressful dreams. And then also across the entire spectrum of American life, how everyone has become intensely vibrantly politically activated without a whole lot of uh knowledge like just purely on an emotional level and i just remember that that book capturing the the mania of of like you know his uh of deep nose um obsession with uh, abortion i just i i had never heard a criticism of it from like a a genre sort of a fantasy like uh idea and it it almost made it more have more clarity to me when I when I listened to that book and and just it's just a great I I listened to it as an audiobook and the Eli Wallach audiobook I think is one of the better uh, Stephen King audiobooks. Oh, it's wonderful. It's, yeah, he, it's it's a such a great read. It's one of my favorites as well. His the way he reads Lachesis and like Clotho, like uh-huh. the, the voices that he does for the little men, I think is uh, it's so creepy. I can still hear them in my head and it makes my skin crawl. I listened to that one on tape, actual tape in my in my car that had a tape player and I think that's I think that's truly the definitive way to listen to it. <laughs> Another thing that uh Insomnia does uh and is you know very notable to like fans of the Dark Tower series is that it introduces uh the Crimson King. I I've, I've told the story before on the show. I won't I won't bother, you know, regurgitating the whole thing again, but like when I read that book for the first time when I was a kid and we get to that part where Patrick Danville 
is drawing a like a little sketch of the gunslinger and the crimson king and his mom's like you know what is that and he starts explaining what it was like that was that was the first instance of like an easter egg in king literature that i was fully aware of you know it blew my fucking mind because i was a dark tower fan and that was also during a a period where we weren't getting any dark tower shit, you know, which and was it really, really is, awful. It, it's, it's in insomnia before it's in the dark tower at all. I believe. Yes. Yeah. I believe the first mention of the crimson King is in, and um, is the first mention of crimson King in dark tower. Is that in wolves or I think it's wolves. I'm trying to remember if there's, if, if the, anything like, in wizard in wizard like, and glass yeah maybe it, at the very end of wizard and glass but it's in that they, they, they allude because randall flag alludes to like a bigger boss you know he, he has a bigger boss i think while they're doing all the wizard of Oz. Yeah, i think i think there is but i don't know if he ever names him yeah well, that's a good question i'll, I'll have to okay to look well, that up. But, well so what back I'm, to back to the easter egg yes. yeah what i'm what i'm getting at here is that a thing that a lot of people tend to complain about when they're complaining about how the dark tower ended is the portrayal of the crimson king who is basically this big blustery fucking thing on a balcony like halfway up the tower and he and he gets more or less easily taken out you know just by someone with more of a creative fucking imagination and in retrospect, you know, like looking back on this series, you know, not to tie this too much into like the the era that we're living in, but the Crimson King strikes me as a Donald Trump esque character. Well, sure, yeah. You know, he's he's full of like full of shit, uh, completely evil, but also kind of a bitch at yeah, the end of the day. Ultimately <laughs> powerless, yeah. I feel like Donald Trump, in fact, would be a very good spokesperson on behalf of the Crimson King. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about what he might say regarding, you know, Roland and his quartet versus the need to destroy the tower. Well, obviously, you know, with Roland, this is he, he's they say he's they say he's a knight, but I don't remember him doing anything in terms of armor. I, You know, he has guns, but he's only got one hand, so I don't know so much what the other gun is for. But when you look at Roland, we, we're supposed to like him because he's so good with guns, but isn't his old divining thing that he got a falcon to show up and eat out a guy's eye? <laughs> so if he's doing birds, you know, what do we care about guns? I thought we were doing bird. And he did such a good job with bird. <laughs> Frankly, the, bird sh- the book should be called The Bird Slinger when you look at it because Roland is much more with Bird Slinger. I think much more in terms of bird. But with regard to Oi, you know, Oi is somebody, he's a Billy Bumbler. He's, he's not very helpful. I don't really know prophetically what he has to do with content. I mean, he's there. I mean, he's there the whole time with Wolves of the Collies, like looking at everybody. I guess he's like R2-D2 or something. He just, we need somebody here to go beep boop. And you do it with Oi. And I, I, you know what? And there's a whole Wizard of Oz thing. So maybe it's Toto. So maybe they were doing a big total. I'm not really sure what Oi was doing there, but Oi, la- excuse me, Oi lasts so much longer than everybody else. I mean, Eddie dies really quickly. Jake's dead. He throws the plates and then he's dead. And then Susanna, she's she's off in Thunderclap doing God knows what. So 
Oi is there with him while he's reading Insomnia and walking through the scary forest. And I think with Oi, we spent way too much time with Oi. We could have killed Oi in four or five. I think we could have killed Oi, frankly, in Keyhole. Uh, but with with Roland, Roland is the villain, okay? We need to be looking at Roland as the villain. This is a man who shot his mother. He shot his, probably shot his dad. I don't know. He probably shot Cuthbert. I mean, it's the word is still out about Cuthbert. You know, where is Cuthbert? Where is Ellen? We don't know. We don't really get to find out. And I think Roland probably has something to do with it. If you were to, we need the tapes. I really think that we need the tapes on Roland because... He is. He wasn't so nice to Cuthbert. Or maybe it's Cuthbert. I don't know. Nobody could. Nobody could ever tell me what if it's Cuthbert or Cuthbert. Nobody ever knows. But Crimson King. You know, I'm very good friends with Crimson King. I'm very good friends with Dandelo. I think Dandelo is a wonderful person. You know, in terms of it. You know, they they they. Every the kids fucked each other, and they got rid of it, but they didn't really because you have Dandelo. And I thought it was great what Dandelo was able to do in terms of getting into Dark Tower and being scary. But why did they just let him be a weird boy in a cabin? I don't know why they kept it to just one weird dinner. It's like my, you're, you're reading the book and the whole time it's like, oh, I'm watching Dark Crystal. I'm watching Lord of the Rings or whatever. And then all of a sudden it's my dinner with Andre. We're watching my dinner with Andre with Dandelo. And I just thought it was awful. But Dandelo is much scar- much scarier than Crimson King. Much scarier than Crimson King. Crimson King, it's King Crimson, right? He's like a jam band. You know, we might as well have done. All right, here's the big bad of the book. His name's Vanilla Fudge. So I didn't find him too scary because, first of all, Stephen King, who's a terrible man, by the Stephen King is a very bad man. We really mm. should be looking into him because people do not like the Anthony Michael Hall dead zone. They don't like it at all. <laughs> no. And they don't like But he still has his Twitter, you know, and that's something. Well, that- well we're looking into that. I don't think he's going to be having that Twitter for very long. But And Molly, the thing <laughs> of evil, is a very bad dog. And we give, we give much too much attention to Molly, the thing of evil. <laughs> Stephen Gage, what does this man, what does he contribute? All he does is he goes up into the top of a barn and he sits on a big stack of money. <laughs> and he blows a rail of cocaine. He listens to Shooter Jennings and the Jayhawks, and he writes awful, awful airport novels. And I think this is a terrible person, but he's he really should be the villain. With Crimson King, this is he's just Santa. He's like Santa throwing Super Mario fireballs at everybody. And why why must we bring the tower down? Well, with the tower, here's the thing: we have given much too much power, I think, to the great Atuan. This is a turtle upon whom everything rests, but really he's only one guardian of a single beam. Or maybe it's two, you know, it's the two poles of a single beam. I don't know. Who gives a shit? Nobody's read the thing in years. But with Atuan, they all say, look at his enormous girth and on his shell he holds the earth. Well, that's great, but America does not need a turtle pushing it around the universe and telling it where to go. We probably need to be doing something about Turtle because Turtle is too big. I don't think anybody's ever seen Turtle. You know, of course, they talk about it, but uh, we really only see it in dreams, don't we? I don't think we ever actually got to talk to Turtle. I think the kids got to talk to Turtle when they were doing uh, Chud. But <laughs> in terms of Chud and in terms of Turtle, I don't, I don't really know much about it other than, you know, a couple kids have talked to him in a dream for a second. So 
who's really in charge? Is it a turtle who some kids have seen in a dream? Or is it Bango Skank? I really think that we should be creating much more of a relationship with Bango. Wouldn't it be great if we got along with Bango Skank? I, hmm. This is someone who's doing graffiti in Jake's world and Roland's world. And I think he's even in, I think he's even, maybe he's the guy who's doing the armies in Wizarding Glass. I don't know. But Bango Skank is a wonderful, wonderful man. And I think that we could be embracing him a little bit instead of leaving him to the dark corners of exposition. We can bring him into the light. And I think we could have, I think we would have a wonderful country if we were able to normalize relations with Bango Skank. I normalize relations with, with the Coffin Hunters. I was able to open up fabulous inroads with the handsome woman at Hammersdale Plaza. I think I even did a lot more than people realize when it comes to TikTok, man. So the time has come to get on Blaine and do the riddles and push on to a better world. I think it's time to leave the... And Biden has done such a terrible job with the wastelands. I think, I think Biden did a really bad job with the wastelands. Because it's like a horror novel for a second, and then all of a sudden you're—I don't know—I'm looking at giant insects under while we're riding a monorail. I don't know. I thought it was a mess. But <laughs> let me tell you, Frank Muller would still be doing the audiobooks if I had been president at that time. I don't—I think it would have been very different. I think it would have gone down very differently with that old thing, and we wouldn't have had awful sleazy George Guadal reading Wolves of the Kala. I mean, it just, you get this great Frank Muller read with four. And then when you go to Wolves of the Kala, it's like, okay, is George Hamilton reading it to us now? I mean, what, where did this slick, pervy guy in a smoking jacket come from? I want Frank Muller. <laughs> okay. When you're doing the impression, yeah, is it just a matter of free association? <laughs> sort because of. It- I think yeah. I think that's how he talks. I think he's sort of surprised <laughs> at what he's going to say. Uh, so every other impression I do is like is it, it's it involves a lot more like um, thinking ahead and um, trying to because everyone else is just more of a person than Donald Trump is. I think Donald <laughs> Trump is like a conduit for a for like a general philosophy of life. Sure. So. He's just like a conduit. He's truly, he's like the Stephen King of, of being angry. So like he, he's, he's dusting off the fossil while he's talking. He doesn't have an outline. He doesn't know where he's going, but he finds the characters while he's talking. And like one thing reminds him of another thing. The, the one time that Trump talked about me, it was like at a rally recently and he didn't know what my name was. But first he was saying like the clip went around where Trump was talking about SNL not being good anymore. He was, he like, first he's going, John Lovitz, John Lovitz. And then, oh, that show used to be so good. But then the Alec Baldwin, what a sick puppy. I mean, that guy's a sick puppy. I don't know who the new guy is doing it now. They say he's better. I don't know. I don't watch the show. It's a terrible show. And then he goes back to talking about whatever. So I asked somebody about how did that come up? And they said, oh, he was talking about a political figure who he was calling a liar. So he was saying something like, Brian Kemp is a liar. And then from that, he went, <laughs> then from there, he went, the liar, the liar, John Lovitz. Remember the liar? Oh my God. <laughs> and that led him into the SNL thing with Alec Baldwin and me. 
So he's he's not listening to himself until he does. And then once he like listens to himself <laughs> say something that kicks it off into another direction and it's it's a total fluke that people are watching it like it's Donnie Darko, like they're gonna find a hidden clue that <laughs> unlocks it. The truth is it really is Donnie Darko. It makes zero sense and it's all just a tone poem. Um you know, that that winds up a certain kind of person. I, I, w- when I do Donald Trump at stand-up shows or something, I usually ask a, I, I talk about, well, first I do like a preacher for like a minute. I, I can do like a mega church pastor for a second. And then I'm like, there are just certain ways, rhythms of speaking that are just fun to listen to. And Donald Trump just sort of picks one thing you hate and one thing you like. And he talks about both of them. And in that circular <laughs> way, and it just hooks you in. And, and I usually ask a person the, in the in the front row, like, "What's a TV show you watched recently?" And then I I take the TV show and I just start from there, and then I just follow a bunch of tangents until I, you know, <laughs> arrive at Bango Skank. Arrive at Bango Skank, exactly. <laughs> um, I'm imagining you just sort of blacking out while this happens. I do. <laughs> I do black out. I I don't remember. I don't remember most of the ones that I've done. Um, but uh, I do. I do. Uh, it's it's crazy that I've been able to get them on SNL because it's like it's a very improvisory thing. It's like a thing that sounds the most like him and is the most sort of fun to listen to when it's purely off the cuff and going nowhere and lasting way too long. So that's a that's an interesting point that you raise. Like, is it even scripted or is it just like James talks? <laughs> well, we start with. Like in the writing sessions, we start with me doing what I just did to you guys. And then we like, (laughs) and then we, because we have very, you know, every second counts on SNL. So we, um, we kind of like take certain chunks and clean them up and, and I do my best to like sell the, the Donald Trump patter amid the, the jokes that we found and cleaned up and, and, and stuff. So it starts from that improvised place, but we can't let me go for 15 minutes. I mean, we, right. Right. And also the, the viewer doesn't want to hear Donald Trump for that long, even an impression of him. So yeah, we try to keep it pretty, we try to keep it pretty short, but I've never done a Stephen King thing on SNL. It'd be, it would be fun to talk about Stephen King as Donald Trump. The next time I do a Donald Trump, I, I hope we recently we recently had uh, Bill Hader on the show who had a, a killer King impression, which he's done on the show just in a very limited capacity. I think he gets like one or two lines out during that Maya Angelou sketch. <laughs> Maya Angelou. Oh yeah, I I I was like way before I did Donald Trump or anything. I would do my Stephen King impression for like my friends because we would listen to like the uh, me and like my Kinghead friends would listen to like his his afterwards on the audiobooks or something like that. So mm-hmm. like, we, the things that we always do are like, uh, you know, um, if, if I'm working on a manuscript, I go up into the top of a barn and I put on something really rocking like ACDC <laughs> or, or, or Toto. And I just let it flow, baby. Um, yeah. His like, his like very like, this was cool for boomers uh, way of talking is like, it, it's so funny to me. It's, it is like, it's the ultimate boomer anything to me. It's like, sure. It, it's the ultimate expression of boomerdom. 
to me. It's it is somehow Jimmy Buffett mixed with like <laughs> Stanley mixed with like it, it just it just encompasses all of those guys at the same time. And right. um those those afterwards are so funny because you'll just have gotten done reading the most like grand or grisly detail at the end of one of his books. And then he's like, uh, Tabitha and I just got a new cat and he's a real <laughs> rascal. He's getting into everything. And, and, and I'm looking at the notes on my desk and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, well, what the hell should I do with any of this? How is any of this going to help me out with Eddie and Jake and Susanna and the gang? Well, it looks like we found our way, folks. We finally found our way on this beautiful trail to a clearing, a glade where maybe Roland would learn something about himself. It's like, it's like he's, it's, it's like he's, it's like he's doing a um, a Davy and Goliath claymation cartoon narration. It's your your take is completely accurate, but what's interesting is how opposite it is from from haters' point of view. <laughs> Which I'm was his, listen to the hater one. Yeah, which was more of like a like it he was saying like him and Mulaney used to just, you know, talk to each other as Stephen King. And the and the crux of it was always the folksiness. Yeah. You know, so we would say like one of them might say to the other, uh, Hey, what'd you do for lunch today? And the other responding as Stephen King would be like, Well, you know, I went down to the 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 corner deli and got a got a sandwich and a you know, a cup of chili, you know, and you eat it and it goes all down your chin. And I was, I was listening to the, the jukebox in the area. Like, I can't fucking do it, but yeah, like, yeah, that yeah. was the, <laughs> that was the thing, like bringing out the like pure Americana of, oh, yeah. you know, whatever he is. But dude, yeah, it's you, so funny that the most Americana bitch we got in the game right now is like, he spends half his time being like, uh, the blood runnled down his chest in rivulets as the creature continued to slice from this lower rib cage all the way to his testicular sack. As his, <laughs> as his ball spilled out in front of him, his engorged eye focused, focusing on it, he remembered the smell of Jennifer's breast. You know, it's like the most sleazy, like lowest common denominator subject matter that he's like getting at. But, it also does come with that Norman Rockwell, like let's get in the car and listen to tunes, baby uh, stuff. I, I, I don't know how he managed to capture so many housewives in the seventies and eighties. I guess cocaine was just that normalized in most homes <laughs> that it made sense. But it's also, it's like he, he sort of came of popularity in an era where people were like drinking martinis at lunch and smoking cigarettes indoors around the clock. So sure. I think he's kind of, he's that kind of King James Bible reader, um, writer, you know what I mean? It's like the, the Stephen King, James Bible, the Stephen gotcha. King, James Bible. I mean, he's, yeah, he's, he's very, um, there, there are like Christian themes in his books, but also it's like yeah. every time there is a Christian character, he's like a flim flame artist who's, <laughs> uh, is a complete or the villain yes he's the villain or whatever yeah, or yeah, yeah. Um, you know that raises an interesting question because you know you grew up very religious and king does have um he does do that you know re religion is often employed as a cudgel or like a, a villain sort of thing he has he has his own faith 
you know, but um, he 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 does tend to deploy it for those reasons. Uh, was what like was this a concern for you when you were growing up? Like his his takes on on organized it's religion like critique on well. You know, you brought up Mark Twain, and Mark Twain has, because I was reading Huck Finn in high school too, and Mark Twain has a similar, um, has a similar outlook on like revival preachers, you know, like the, the opportunists and hucksters, like, like that's what a lot of the revival guys were like in the 1800s, um, when Twain was knocking around. Um, I think that, I, I don't know, I, 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 I grew up in, um, uh, an era where I was pretty media savvy. So I knew pretty much everybody's opinions on everything. I just clung to, I clung to like our church specifically, but I knew that like televangelists were full of shit and stuff. Like I knew that there were lots of hucksters within it. And, um, but you know, at, at the time I was like fully in on the cult aspect. I, I didn't question anything. And I don't know that Stephen King necessarily that that stuff is really a big contributor to any of my exiting from that world necessarily. Um, right on. Because right it, on. Uh, it, on the one hand, yeah, so there's a lot of transgressive stuff in it, a lot of transgressive content in it, but um, generally uh, affirming of good and evil. Um, you know, uh, it yeah. tend, the 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 evil the tend to be punished in those books, and the good tend to be sort of rewarded or at least spared. Um, uh, so you know, it, 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 he he happens to just be a regular, like Christian influenced uh, American author, the way that pretty much every you know white American writer was from his time. You know, there this really only a few of them were like outspokenly like Vonnegut style, like atheists or whatever, like that you had to like hard to make that choice. And I think, I think that the vague Christian themes of Stephen King's stuff is just part of the Americana, not necessarily a part of anything affirming or against Christianity as an entity. Um, but I will say that just like the, the adult content of his books was just a shocker for me. And that was probably more challenging than anything was like just reading a lot of F words and <laughs> grisly scenes of violence and <laughs> tour trains and what have you. Sex yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And uh, bully greaser kids jerking each other off in a junkyard. Bully yeah. greaser mm. kids jerking each other off in a junkyard. <laughs> that old chestnut. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh man. And oh man, poor, yeah. uh, poor Beverly. Uh, she gets treated <laughs> like shit. Um, well, you know, um, what can you do about that? Uh, but I, I guess my my final question for you here yeah. uh, is: how do you how do you feel about how the Dark Tower ended? Like, were you happy with it? Did you, okay. you know, like like where was your head at as you closed in on those last hundred pages? So on the last hundred pages. I was listening to Interpol's um, Turn on the Bright Lights album a lot as I finished The Dark Tower. I was like in a phase in high school of like listening to music while I read. Um, and I cried at the end of The Dark Tower. I, I found the whole, I honestly found the whole like um, finally reaching the Rose Garden and walking up to the tower 
and blowing the does he blow the horn or does he not blow the horn uh he doesn't have the horn right right he he, he starts with the horn on the next trip he imagines he calls the names of, of he everybody calls the name of everybody and he's uh, like I, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, who is lost on on the journey yeah and i i love that ending it's funny how he goes in and like the contents of the tower are a little like uh, anticlimactic, definitely. But my buddy's dad was much more upset about the ending of the Dark Tower than I was. And I think I said enough about my philosophy with genre fiction earlier, you know, talking about all that stuff. Like, I tend to just accept the the work of a visionary. If they are a singular visionary, I accept their expression. Mm-hmm. I you know what I mean? I, I like the Phantom Menace. I genuinely do. It is, it is, it is from one person's brain. No one could have thought right. of the Trade Federation and <laughs> Darth Maul and pod racing in the same movie. So I kind of look at the, the final pages of the Dark Tower as like, listen, man, if you don't like this, you probably just don't like Stephen King. And that just kind of sucks. Like, um, <laughs> what's, uh, do you guys know David Frick, the Rolling Stone writer, David Frick? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I have been trying to get a David Frick character on SNL this whole <laughs> last season. Mm-hmm. I love his voice. He comes up in every rock doc. And, uh, when you mentioned Hader and John Mulaney talking to each other as Stephen King, I was like, well, me and Dan Bola do that as David Frick. Like, um, David Frick is another person who looks like Stephen King and has a similar sort of like maybe I think he's more Gen X, but um, the way that he talks and um, mythologizes, you know, the stuff that he reviews is similar right. to right. Stephen King. He has this great monologue, and this is what kicked off every time we tried to make David Frick an update character. Um, uh, he has this great monologue in the Wilco movie, uh, I Am Trying to Break Your Heart where he like picks up the CD Yankee hotel Foxtrot and he's like talking about why it didn't sell that many copies or whatever. He's like, all right, look, okay. This is, I'm holding in my hand a disc. Okay. It's, it's, it's in a case. It has some art. (laughs) You know, I could buy this for 20 bucks and I open it and there's like this, there's a little disc in here. There's some, books i don't care i don't care about that what i care about is what is encoded on this dopey little disc right and you know there's sad stuff on here there's 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 hard stuff on here there's catchy stuff on here but it's all there and it it doesn't really give you a map to to enjoying it so you know (laughs) uh, uh, i and i just think that 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 if if you listen to it and it's not for you i don't know i just think that's that kind of sucks. It kind of sucks for you. You know, it's, you either like it or you either get it or you don't. Um, there's there's a little bit of zodiac in <laughs> your David Frick. Like, yeah. could you could you say, um, "This is David Frick. This is David Frick speaking. This is David Frick speaking." Yeah. <laughs> um, See, so, it's that's zodiac, dude. When it comes to we cracked it. When it comes to. Um, when it comes to the end of the Dark Tower, I truly feel like either if if you don't, you either like it or you don't. And if you don't like it, I think that sucks for you. And yeah, and it's just like 
this is what he decided it is. And he's the guy who gets to decide that. And um, it, there's nothing that invalidates the rest of it by the ending of it being a click back to the very beginning. I think, I think maybe the visions that he has inside the dark tower are a little stupid, but I love the idea of the parallel universes kind of linking back together again and everything blinking over again, you know, like just clicking yeah. back to the beginning. I think it's really cool. Um, I, you know what? I've read so many Stephen King books, even knowing that I don't always love the endings. I keep starting another one because I know that it's going to be a lot of fun to read. And, um, you know, I read, I read the dark tower seven and immediately started the gunslinger again. I thought <laughs> right. like it, it just, I think that's a cool trick and <laughs> you could probably see it coming, but I, I didn't, when I was reading it, I was very surprised by how it ended. Did you, and did that's you, as cohesive as he gets when ending something. Yeah. I mean, he ended yeah. on the theme. He, he, underscore, yeah. he or, underscored the ultimate theme of his book, which is like, the wheel of samsara it's like you yeah. know like um <laughs> you know that the roland is just in hell he's just in hell and he's just being tortured for the rest of eternity he just is did you have any predictions for how it might end before you read it um i definitely well i looked at the dust jacket and i knew that he makes it to the dark tower uh, <laughs> right. which is kind of fucked up that they made the dust jacket what they did because it's like okay so he gets there okay great <laughs> um also he's totally alone obviously like uh Susanna gets to be on the cover of wolves of the well Power. who's take who's painting the portrait if he's alone james did you think of that oh yeah the kid from insomnia that's his thing <laughs> um the deus ex machina from i mean patrick danville from insomnia <laughs> exactly um yeah i i don't think i had any true predictions about it. I will say that I was hook, line and sinker all in on the wolves of the Kala style story. Like I knew when he was ending it, I was like, okay, if this is how he's ending it in this like silly, um, sort of pseudo Joseph Campbell way, I'm, I'm into it. I'm into the, to the final arc of things. Um, right. And it it does lose some gas, I think, when Roland's left alone. I think it loses loses some gas, right? Um, but it's also it's like uh, King earned it. Um, he took me all the way, and the whole book is the whole series is like about the slog toward the Dark Tower, and so it makes sense for the final leg of it to be like a depressing slog. I think. Um, that Good said, answer. it's that's the one that I've read the least is the final one. Mm. Yeah, I'm due for a reread on on that one because the way that it used to run is is because Scott and I were reading this when they were still coming out new. Right. Uh, When I first read the series, uh, Wizard and Glass hadn't come out yet. So so I read the first three, then Wizard and Glass, I think, came out a couple years after that. And so I reread those first three again before Wizard and Glass. And then that just became my routine whenever a new one was coming out was I would start from the beginning Right. And read up until and then write, you know, be right ready for the the new one coming out. Uh, and because of that, I've only read The Dark Tower the one time when it came out. So so uh, I, I'm due for a revisit. I've gone. We're slowly going through. We've had a, a guy named Matt Fraction. He's a, a comic author, a comic writer. Um, he's come on and he's going through The Dark Tower for the first time. And so he's been on 
he he did drawing of the three and and wastelands with us and and every time he finishes a book like he comes on and he'll talk about that book um and so i've been reading along essentially with him so whenever he's ready for for uh, wizard and glass that you know i'll I'll, I'll reread that and then, uh, uh, you know, yeah. hopefully all, all the way back to, to, to the end. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I tend to stop, um, at the, like the Divar toy or I'm trying to remember what the name of the, the compound is where all the breakers, the are Agul, Algul something, Salento or whatever. Yeah. Algul Siento. Yeah. Siento. Siento so yeah. after that, after that uh, storyline closes, you know where the movie, the very first shot of the movie is. Yeah, which <laughs> Jesus, that movie just keeps picking. Like, okay, that's what you got from reading this book. Like, there's so much cool <laughs> shit, and you're like, it's like watching someone go up to a salad bar and walking back with like just the cheese cubes, and it's like you're really gonna skip the entire salad bar and just come back <laughs> with like a full plate of shredded cheddar cheese. Um, um, uh, oh man. So yeah, I, I, the last time I read the dark tower, I stopped there. Like every time I just end up stopping there cause I know what's coming and it's like, I, <laughs> it's so hard to keep going with him through, through the, um, through the final, uh, sort of world that he's walking through. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a bummer. Um, it is a bummer. Um, but Again, you know, I like that. I like that he bums me out. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I, like I think it's I think out. it's the braver ending than Roland gets to the top of the tower and saves it. And now everything's fine. You right. Know? Yeah. It's, it is it's braver. Than more it. courageous. It's bolder. It's it's more interesting. Well, certainly. I think it's oh yeah, bold. And I think that that's what where he had to go. I think that he had to go. He had to go annoyingly crazy with it because like otherwise it just yeah it wouldn't have been anything you could like sink your teeth into i mean the point of it is to get you to to go back to the beginning again so why not end it unsatisfyingly and um but it still promises that ending you want you're just not reading it you know that that's the beauty of the ending is that by starting him off differently this time that this is you get the idea this is a new thing like for yeah. whatever he did on this turn of the wheel, the the thousandth time he's made this journey, uh, he something has changed within him. He did something a little differently, and now he has the horn. So, if, and if yeah, and if he has the horn, maybe this is the time he gets it right. You know, yeah, and it's more interesting to. Okay, so if so if he if we have just read the thousandth or millionth cycle he's done on yeah. the wheel of Ka, and he just finished it and now he's got the horn. It's like, would it be more interesting to read the one where he's got the horn? Probably not. The one that is most right. narratively compelling is the, it's like, it's like a, it's just a rule in storytelling. It's like when you start the story of anything, is it a novel or is it a movie? You know, what makes this day different from all other days? I, I read this in a book one time. It's the, the phrase from the Passover supper, uh, Manish Tana. It's like, why is tonight different from other nights? So like your story starts with the day that is different from every other day. And that's the day that the plot begins for the person. You know, it's like we could, we could watch Titanic. We could watch like hours of Titanic where Jack is just painting 
nude girls in France, but like that's not where the story starts. The story starts when they get on the fucking Titanic. That's where the interesting shit starts happening to that guy. And I just think it's I think it's uh, cool that it sort of affirms Stephen King's storytelling to make it like, oh, I read Roland's cycle that is the one that finally broke through and he got the horn. Like right. this time with Jake and Eddie and uh, Susan and Oi, this was the important cycle. Of all the millions that he's done, this time he found the people. He fa- he did everything right to now that he so now right. he possesses the horn. I so I think you're on the right track there because I think that whatever this version of it is going to be the least adventurous and interesting because. I mentioned this every time we, we get, we talk about the, uh, the cycle, but like, I, I'm pretty sure my memory is again, this is not now a 15 year old memory is King explicitly states that, that Roland always fails when he lets Jake fall. Right. So I, I think that he says this within the text. And so when you, when he doesn't let Jake fall, you know, like, what does that do to the, to, to the narrative is he is he able to abandon the quest or is he able to solve it in a different way where he isn't his obsession with the tower doesn't overrule his humanity and and you know and he takes care of those he loves in favor of of this you know quest that he he has put himself on but you know that's it's like not metal as fuck yeah <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> what's we're, getting awesome? into the, we're, we're getting into the last jedi territory right what's where it's awesome like, about he becomes the luke that isn't like doing backflips and crushing at-ats with his mind and shit you that's, know it's like yeah well i i like the luke of the you know what the big just a real quick thing about the disney star wars when they released that trailer for rise of skywalker and emperor palpatine is chuckling at the end of it i was like man it should be Luke chuckling at the fucking end of it. Huh. Luke should be the dark Sith devil at the end of this shit. Like, I wanted Luke to go fully bitter and and Darth Vader himself at the end of the Disney ones. Like, kill the heroes. Like, make me not like the heroes. Like, like there's something really cool about that. And that's what makes me, like, not like Roland, but that's what makes me interested in his journey is... right beginning this relationship with Jake and then like letting him die is like, it was unpredictable and it made me go, but wait, he, he is moral though too. I've seen him do moral stuff. Like the, (laughs) the massacre at Tull is this fucked up thing where he's like cleansing. He's like cleansing something at the same time that he's, you know, right. Also murdering everybody there. Um, Well, yeah, he's trying to help Allie and, you know, he's trying to, trying to be the good guy you know yeah that that like moral push and pull is just very very compelling and i think that's just what makes that character cool and interesting to read about at least in terms of fantasy fiction. you just don't often get in the big fantasy epic uh, a guy who so interestingly sucks like <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> a guy who who a, a guy who has a i mean only only a guy who writes great character um, character studies um, could could make a, a genre fantasy like this. I mean, Stephen King definitely does good genre storytelling, and you know his horror stories are great. But it's it's always the psychological thing. It's always that he makes these characters so 
believable and interesting to the point where you don't even care that maybe the ending of uh, Dreamcatcher or whatever is stupid. Like you, you just, you liked hanging with those people and right. Roland for how much he sucks and is blank and just staring and uh, ruminating on his own failure just constantly. He still manages to, it, it, is it his most written out character period? I mean, is, does Roland Deschain fill the most pages of it's gotta be of all his fiction. It's like fucking 7,000 pages long or something. You know, it's, he's gotta be the central figure in, in all of King's work. And he maintains it. He somehow maintains it across eight books or whatever. This one Mm. guy and you learn new shit about him, even in keyhole, like, like you still are like putting together who he is. It's, it's the best work he's ever done. Character wise is, is Roland. And it's, I just think it's badass that Roland is like such a motherfucker all the way to the end. (laughs) And to your point, so much of the book is about the journey, not the destination, you know, that that's the, the building the cotet and going, you know, uh, going on adventures with people you love and, and that support you and you support, you know, that's pretty much his, you know, his thesis, his thesis, his theory. And this is that that's the important thing in life, not whatever this, ultimate destination is so yeah i don't I, we don't need to we don't we don't need an ultimate destination we just we want to watch all the cool different ways that jake chambers dies over and over <laughs> yeah again. we, we want to murder a child over yeah, we and over watch again. The that's same what we want to do get murked 20 times <laughs> that's a secret to human existence um well we're we're uh, obviously running very long here but uh, yes. before we wrap up i would like to pose one final question to you on my behalf anyway um, sure. And, uh, what would it sound like if Adam Driver was Cujo? Yes. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to ask. Well, you've you've uh, you figured me out. No, this is something. Um, uh, I, I know that Scott's probably tired of talking about it, but our listeners would uh, oh, uh, would Jesus <laughs> would would, would kill us if we didn't ask you, since you are a very uh, well read Dark Tower person. There's two theories that, that we have on in terms of uh, reading order here. Okay. Um, I am a diehard in the wool. You don't deserve Dark Tower if you can't get through the gunslinger first. Scott is of the opinion that for some people that maybe get hung up on, on the gunslinger, it's okay to start with drawing of the three and then go back and treat it like a prequel. Like, what do you think? I have never considered a run, uh, a, 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 a read through that wasn't the numbered read through. This is very mm-hmm. interesting to me. I, I think you could, I think you could do like, I think you could start with wizard and glass and then start over. Like I, I almost think that you could just start cold with wizard and glass and then go to the gunslinger drawing of the three in wastelands. Like there's something fun about doing the immediate res thing. Um, but um, you'd have to cut off the whole Blaine stuff at the beginning, though, or else it, that wouldn't make any yeah, wouldn't, a damn it, bit of sense. It's pretty cuckoo, but um, yeah, I that's what they did with the pilot on the Glenn Mazar version. Yeah, that's true. The Amazon wait, what well, it was, series that almost happened. It was yeah. sort of a combination. We did an episode with Glenn Mazar, who was like heading up the uh, Dark Tower series that was going to launch oh, on yeah. Amazon Prime. They uh, he scripted it, had an incredible plan for yeah. the entire series and they went and shot a pilot um, 
Amazon passed on it. So we got him on the show to talk about like what his plans were. And he also like sent us the pilot for the Dark Tower series. And it starts as sort of an amalgamation of Wizard and Glass and uh, the Gunslinger. But it does mostly start with Wizard and Glass. Oh, that's uh, that's cool. And it's not the same cast as the movie. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, man, I wish I could see that. I'm going to have to cash in some celebrity points at some point to watch that. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, good luck. Um, <laughs> I think it's <clears throat> wildly. Uh, it was made clear to us that if we ever shared that, we would be in uh, massive trouble. <laughs> sure, uh, sure, sure, sure. And uh, like I. I don't know, but other people have seen it. I don't I don't think it's completely impossible that. Yeah, well. I think you could, you probably could start with Drawing of the Three. I know that like some people think that the Gunslinger is maybe boring or something like that, but mm-hmm. if you're not going to like the Gunslinger, how the hell are you going to like Dark Tower 7? Like, mm-hmm. like. Well, by that point, you're already, it's already got its hooks in. You're already hooked in. You know, I'm, I'm only ever recommending this to people that have a problem with the first book. The first book. And I've, and I've had some friends that, that don't like the first book when they read it. Definitely. Um, right. I just, it's, it's a stumbling block for a lot of people. That's so funny because it's like bitching. Like <laughs> it, it, I really like the gunslinger specifically. I've read that one mm-hmm. like five times and we all do, but you know, we're not all people. That's true. You know? I just like, there was an argument about this in our fucking mentions just really? the other day. Man, yeah. if you don't like the gunslinger, you don't deserve drawing of the three. Like you, I, I kind of, that's what I've been saying. That's sort of how I feel about it. It's like you're so, so you didn't like the gunslinger. Why would I let you watch the like kooky, like uh Scorsese movie version? <laughs> because of like, because my mission is to get everyone to read the fucking dark okay. tower. Okay. And if that means going to the popcorn, popcorn like blockbuster version of the Dark Tower, mm-hmm. which I really think Drawing of the Three is, it's like a finely tuned watch. You know, it's yeah, just it so precise in the way it lays these things out. And it's really, you can imagine it like a blockbuster movie in your head. You can't really do that with the first one. So if someone's having a problem with the first book, like... Fuck it. Okay, go to the go to the more like overtly entertaining version, and then you're gonna have a couple of questions. You loop back around to the weird shit, and then onto the wastelands. Yeah, I guess I guess that would work for me, and I and I think I'll allow it. Although very well, like <laughs> uh, although it's like, why do you care that his fingers just got bit off? If you don't know what he's capable of, and, well, I'll tell you what. I, and, drawing and what, in the yeah, three why, was the why first do you give one a shit about this this boy that you you see. The boy fucking comes in at the very end of it. You've had three hundred pages to get hooked by that point, but the 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 specific thing about his fingers getting bit off, like drawing of the three, was the first one I read. It, it really it was yeah because I was I was getting all the books off my all, off my mom, you know, who had a Stephen King collection, and she Your had drawings. Oh yeah. Uh, well, she read one of them at least. Okay. Um, uh, maybe she didn't have all of them because I would, I would pull a, a King book off the shelf. I would bring it to her and say, what's this one about? You know? And she would tell me, and it was like, whether, you know, it was up to me whether or not I wanted to do that. And when I finally pulled, uh, 
drawing of the three off the shelf and showed it to her. She was just like, oh, it's about a, a cowboy and he's he lives in another world. And like she did a really terrible job of explaining what it was. But there right. was enough there was enough to grab onto between her description and also in, in the in the illustrations in the book that I was like, I really got my interest peaked. And I felt like if this guy's a fucking gunslinger and he gets his fingers bit off, like right off the bat, you know, he's in deep shit. Right. Right. So like just the logic of it. And I was a child at that point. So like if you're a 30 year old person who's never read the dark tower and you're like, you can't figure out why it might be a bad idea for a gunslinger to lose his fucking fingers. Well, (laughs) I I can't help you like that. Right. Right. Patently obvious. (sighs) Well, I never thought about it that way. I never thought that you could start (laughs) with the drawing of the three. I always thought that you would have to start with maybe wizard and glass because it's self-contained and doesn't, it doesn't really matter a whole lot to the, to the main plot to read it. Um, But um, you could do that. And I may, toss that in as a footnote when I am suggesting this series to people. But at this point I have become sort of a a bitter protective man about this where I'm totally (laughs) gatekeeping this series. Mm -hmm. It's just for me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And now it's just like, man, I, I don't, I almost don't want people to know about how cool it is. I mean, did y'all see, um, did y'all see when Trudeau had, he was doing like a zoom for on a news show and he had the full dark tower spread up on the no, case. Really? Justin Trudeau was doing a like zoom interview and somebody on Twitter pointed what, out, the, like, for, for, is that a real? copy of song of Susanna behind him? And then I like squinted at his bookshelf and he had all of the dark towers up there on his, like, you know how every time a politician does a zoom from home, you they're in their study and you see all their books. And I'm like, this motherfucker is reading the Stephen King, like, deep shit. The, like, the sci-fi. <laughs> oh, my God. We have to get D- Justin Trudeau on the show. We're going to have to do it, dude. Shit. Oh, my God. I'm looking it up now. Yeah, this is a, <laughs> a Zoom, and he's got the entire fucking series behind him. So we got to get that Canuck on the show. Oh, my gotta God. Hear what can he you has imagine? I, it would be pretty funny. I Yeah, I don't know. You could. I do think Went Through the Keyhole is good, and. Yeah, that's almost one that you could probably suggest to someone to read, but you do want to kick them off into the into the main narrative, into the Roland marching to the tower. Right. So, no, I got to say, Gunslinger, you got you got to read that first (laughs) read that first word. You got to see Walter wake the guy up. You gotta you gotta see the the gun abortion. You gotta watch Jake die in the caves, and then you gotta listen to him and Walter have the hundred year conversation. I mean, yeah, and the whole thing such it's, it's cyclical. I mean, it it the end connects directly to the beginning. It's like taking saying this puzzle is you know it looks fine you know as it is, but you know I don't. It, it might be a little hard, so I'm going to make a little puzzle over here that's a mini version of the puzzle, and this other one will be incomplete, but it, it's easier to put together. Like I don't know it. To, to me, it's cheating. I don't. I don't like it. I, Scott, I see your. I see your point though that yes, that the cool part of the book is the is the um, that the cool part of the series is the Roland Jake uh, Susan Eddie story. It's the contact forming the and, and acting forming as a team, and right? Walking like that definitely. It's the, it's the training wheels version right. of the Dark Tower for someone is. that that just isn't 
isn't a fucking badass motherfucker. And sometimes you're going to meet some people that aren't badass motherfuckers, and that's okay. But you, but you if do. If the ultimate purpose is to get them hooked on the Dark Tower, right. I think it's a fair. Uh, Ultimately, ploy. It's, yeah, I, I suppose so. It's like um, maybe uh, good news for people who love bad news isn't the best Modest Mouse album, but if it's the one that gets you listening to the other <laughs> Modest Mouse ones, you know, yeah. float on, float on, baby. Um, right. Uh, we all float down here. Um, <laughs> I, I, I guess you still, if you're going to read, you, but you have to read The Gunslinger next. Because, yes, absolutely, of course. Because there's something so cool about reading the court castle um, hacks, the chef, the castle stuff when they're kids. Like, there's something right. cool about the delayed gratification of returning that world, not until Wizard and Glass. You know what I mean? With Drawing of the Three yeah. in the Wastelands, they pretty much just all happen in real time. We are discovering relics of North Central Positronics. We are finding the robot bear. You know, like, it's all the present day stuff. But I think that the castle shit is very important to mm-hmm. understanding why any of this is happening the way that it is. And um, Totally fair. Totally fair. Yeah. Well, James, I, I want to thank you a lot for being here today. This was this is a gr- I, I'm always happy to just shoot the shit about Dark Tower with anyone. Oh, this is great. You know, we didn't talk enough about Wolves of the Kala, I don't think. <laughs> but that's we could okay. be here all day. We um, could be here all day. I love the Sneeches and uh, Father Callahan, obviously. Someone, oh yeah, someone saved my life tonight. Sugar Bear. Um, Christ, we didn't even get in. We didn't even that. get into any of that. I think that was what appealed to me the most as a teenager was like the thought of the the Americana stuff that gets sucked into the Hobbit stuff, and mm, I, right. I was looking for signs of the parallel worlds everywhere. I was looking for the number nineteen everywhere. I was. Thinking, yep. I was like listening to a song, and I'd be like, "This would be a Dark Tower song. This would be a song that some demon is like mumbling in a cave uh, that." <laughs> Roland and Jake uncover, you know, they would, they would be walking past a cave and then just a hole would open in the cave and just start singing, um, uh, cotton eyed Joe by the rednecks or whatever. <laughs> right. Um, uh, yeah, I, that man, this, this book is like my childhood. It literally is my childhood and also my adulthood because it, these books yanked me out of young adult fiction and got me reading literature because of it. Like I really read, adult books from then on because of because of these and it got me into the rest of stephen king too i mean i, I read a lot of stephen king from these books and right um uh do you guys think that the dark tower is a way to get someone into stephen king or do you think do you think they mostly have to come to it after liking stephen king mm. what do you, uh, you gotta I, I i don't i don't recommend throwing people in the deep end like that um that's but much in the same, much in the same way that I wouldn't tell someone to start off the stand, you know, <laughs> yeah. or, or it, you know, it's, and it's his magnum opus. Like you yeah. gotta, I feel like you kind of got to earn entry into, earn into that a little bit. And <laughs> so that means reading, you got to earn entry, but you don't have to start with that first book. I Motherfuckers. I've had enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, here's what it is. If you want to read the dark tower, I think you start with cell. <laughs> and then I think you read Dance Macabre. Then you got to see Dolan's Cadillac. <laughs> you got to see Dolan's Cadillac. And read the Tommy Knockers twice. <laughs> yeah. Then you got to read the Tommy Knockers twice. Then you need to watch the Dreamcatcher movie. Um, 
and uh, do what I did and just watch the first hour of the Idris Elba. Uh, <laughs> and you're on your way. And then you've, you've earned your, your place lifelong in the Dark Tower of fandom. Stuff. Yes. <laughs> well, again, thank you for being here today. This was an absolute delight. We'll have you back anytime you want. Um, you know, and and good luck out there. You're you're killing it on SNL. Right oh, now. thanks, man. And I'll and I'll work on uh, I'll work on getting a sketch on where I'm like Stephen King talking about uh you know like uh, I went over to the movie theater and I saw big canyons in the face of Clint Eastwood and I thought you could fit a thinny in there. <laughs> if you can get a dark tower joke on SNL, I will absolutely recognize it. And that would be the funniest fucking thing in the <laughs> well, world. Yeah. We're going to be looking. Just hey, one a, in there. There was a dark tower reference on Colbert recently. Cause it was a uh, Taylor Swift did a, a joke song about being in love with Steven or something. And she's and the, the, the joke is that it's not every, he kept thinking it was about himself. Like, Oh, this is this real life song is about me. And then she came in and did a joke song where it turns out she was really in love with Stephen King. And, uh, and they throw in like a dark tower thing in there and we got hit uh, a lot. All our just socials were just like filled with people going, Oh, oh my God, is, is a uh, T Swift, a, a DT a dark tower fan. It's just like, probably not. I'm pretty sure that was written for her. Yeah. She was reading cue cards, buddy. <laughs> yeah. She's not, a, she's not a constant reader. Yeah. She has not like that. Tommy Justin knockers Trudeau. twice. Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> uh for sure um yeah but thanks man this was a, this is a blast is there anything you want to plug real quick uh, before we're, so we're done with this to get to talk to you guys about stephen king stuff and specifically dark tower and um right. of um, course you know um maybe we'll get together and talk cell uh later oh. on but oh um, yeah uh i uh let's see to plug uh let's see watch saturday night live on nbc make sure you watch the reruns because i get paid for that shit um uh no i'm just kidding um uh i have i have my own stand-up tour going on this summer and i would love it if uh, people could come out and see me at a live show and uh i'm you know i'm friendly i'll say hi after um so you can go to my instagram uh and click on the link in my bio or my twitter and that has um has a list of my remaining shows uh, my shows start up in july my tour is called close to you and i'm going to where am i going next i think i'm going to Charlotte, North Carolina next. So um, come see me. You going to show. Austin by any chance? I I just did to I, I did I, I did a solo show in Austin as part of the Moon Tower Comedy Fest. So I, mm, I was already I didn't I think to that, get in touch. I saw that I saw that on their website today, I, but there was like no date on the page that I was looking at. And oh, I was like, I'm sorry. Fuck, I yeah. bet I missed this. It yeah. was it was one of those I mean, we didn't know each other, but it's still kind of rude that you <laughs> didn't invite me. <laughs> well, I'll be coming through um a lot more. I mean my you know, I get to tour for a living now, so I'm gonna be everywhere all the time now doing shows. So um run on awesome. so go to at shrimp jadge on Twitter Instagram. That's shrimp the like the animal J A J. And um I'll be there and you can come see me at a live show. I think that's the best thing to promote right now. Right, right on. And if you're going to heckle, throw out some bango skank and then you'll know that uh, the heckler came from the show. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. Thanks guys. Many thanks to James Austin Johnson. That was everything that I hoped for and more. I, I can't believe you actually got him to do uh what felt like five minutes of, of Trump trying to <laughs> explain it's a pretty the sustained tower. amount of Trump. Yeah. I was not expecting that. I thought maybe he'd give me a, you know, throw a couple lines at us, but, uh, 
very, very gracious guest and uh, seems to seems to go in a, a different place in his head while he's doing that. So I'm not sure if he was even aware of how much time had elapsed. <laughs> I don't think he was. He's good shit and always a pleasure to talk at length about the Dark Tower. We can do that until we're blue in the goddamn face. So had a great time with that one. So what we are going to do next week is we are going back to the sewers of Derry, heading into the Barrens talking about it chapter one in particular. So this is the first time that we've actually focused on the Andy Muschietti movie from 2017. It's come up every time we've talked about it, but like, this is the first time this is the focus. Other, other ones seem to be more focused on the miniseries or the book. Mm -hmm. This one, uh, the first time dat boy Pennywise is, is going to be up on the chopping block. Oh Lord, uh, he coming. (laughs) And our guests for this, we have multiple, um, the, we can say that they are, podcasters we can say each one of them are different variations on uh uh the horror fan so you have like a tip at the top loves all the horror stuff middle Mm -hmm. of the road horror and then a scaredy cat who uh uh, apparently had quite the time (laughs) watching it chapter one for the first time and and comes to uh the show to (laughs) to talk about her trauma actually so yeah, um, this is kind of an experiment that we've been thinking about doing for a while and it never just found the right fit for it. But I've always kind of thought that it would be instructive to have someone who doesn't watch any Stephen King stuff and is, in fact, not a horror fan and subject them to one of the scariest King movies and see what happens. And uh, we found a perfect opportunity to do that <laughs> with these with these ladies. Uh, and it is <laughs> the results are highly entertaining. We, we think you will enjoy. And uh, what do we got coming up on our Patreon this Friday? Well, we're doing another unique thing uh, on the Patreon this this Friday. A guest is coming in by the name of Micheline Pitt. She is a fashion designer who um, is also a big horror fan. She's also a filmmaker, a writer, director, all, all kinds of stuff. Just a, a, a sextuple threat, I believe. Um, and... She has, on on more than one occasion, designed lines of clothing built around Stephen King's work. Um, you may have seen us tweeting about her her line of it clothing and accessories that came out a while back. I, I got my wife for Christmas a uh, a purse that was being offered there that was like in the shape of Georgie's little sailboat from the beginning of of it. Uh, and we were really curious about what goes into, first of all, we don't know fuck all about fashion design. <laughs> right. Second of all, like how does one, where would one even begin if you were designing a fashion line based on Stephen King's work? And she came in and gave us every answer we could have possibly asked for and did. And, um, it's, it's another really fun conversation. I, I had a great time talking to her. Yeah, no, it's it's great. Uh, you know, she doesn't just talk about the art of designing stuff. She goes into her Stephen King love and how that influenced mm-hmm. her, you know, throughout her her career and all that stuff. But then she also goes into kind of the nitty gritty of of licensing materials and stuff. It's, it's licensing images, and so it's, it's a pretty neat episode. It's a little bit different, but uh, a, a great little niche of Stephen King fandom that uh, I think all fans will be super duper interested in hearing. Agreed. And we love Micheline. Very happy to have her on the show. Um, I think people will get a kick out of it. So if you want to hear this week's bonus episode, you can head over to patreon.com slash the Kingcast and sign up. That's Micheline Pitt talking about designing cool Stephen King geeky stuff. 
And uh, next week we have it chapter one up on the chopping block in the main feed. So uh, yeah, we can't wait for y'all to hear that. And thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week, folks. Bye. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director. And editing is done by yours truly. Bye.